And I'm ready to rock and roll with this show for three hours. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Dreff and Drexel Show. April 16, 2013, that was Ready Teddy by Little Richard only 57 years ago. And amazingly, Little Richard still performs. He's 80 years old. And the amazing thing is that in 1956, when this song came out, you could have gone to a Little Richard concert and listened to Vin Scully broadcasting the Dodgers on the radio. And in 2013, you can still do both things. Anyway, tonight we have a lot to talk about. A whole lot to talk about. A whole lot has happened this week. In fact, this is one of those weeks where so much has happened that I think back to a week ago, and I go, that was only a week ago? Like, things were so different a week ago. Now, not quite as different as April 15th made everything two years ago. That was Black Friday. And we're going to talk about that, too. But still, a lot has happened in the last week to where I think of the events that have occurred, and I'm surprised that a week ago when I did this show, they had not occurred yet. So I'm going to talk about all these things, very big stories, including some that came out today on this show. But a lot of you are waiting for an announcement. You hear I'm by myself here. There's no Seriously Serious tonight. I I do want to make an announcement before my main announcement. I want to make a side announcement regarding Seriously Serious, who has been a very, very capable guest host. Not just capable, but a very good guest host that was very well received. People really enjoyed hearing him as a co-host on the show, and I, I want to thank him for his time on this show, which may or may not continue in the future. And the reason this may not continue in the future has to do with my announcement about him. So here's the update. Some of you know this already, but Seriously Serious has a job. He got a job at Bluff Media. That is the same Bluff Media that produces Bluff Magazine. He's going to be working in multimedia with them. I presume producing little things that he's gotten to be known for that he's been doing pretty much for free. So congratulations for... Too Seriously Serious for getting this job and actually getting paid for the work he's been doing for free that so many people have appreciated. And Bluff finally said, hey, let's lock him up. Let's have him produce stuff for us that people will enjoy and we'll pay him for it. So great. The reason he's not on the show at the moment is because uh, technically Poker Fraud Alert could be considered a competition with Bluff. It really isn't. We're not competing at all. Uh, We're totally different. But, you know, we are, in a way, a poker media company. So uh, he has to make sure it's okay with them that he co-hosts this show because this is just something he volunteers to do. I don't pay him anything. But uh, he does get paid at Bluff, so whatever they say as far as what he can do with this show will be what has to go. And that's that's very normal that a company may have, uh, you know, you can't help the competition sort of clause in their contract or even if your boss just says, hey, don't do it, you got to listen if it's reasonable. But I, I don't think they're going to care. My guess is they won't care, but... Uh, he has to wait till he finds out, and you know if if they can, if they're okay with him coming on here, being a co-host, then I'd be glad to have him back. But that's not what everybody's waiting to hear about. Most of you knew already. At least people who read the forum, most of you knew that seriously serious got a job at Bluff, and a lot of you knew that last week may be his last week hosting the show. But what about Brandon? What about the other name? Of the Druff and Drexel show 
Now, most of you have known that Brandon has not been here for the most part in 2013. I think he appeared like once. For the rest of the year, it has just been me and a variety of co-hosts, mainly Seriously Serious. So what about Brandon? Is he ever coming back? Is this going to be called the Druff, or Drex- the Druff and Drexel show for eternity without Drexel? It's kind of ridiculous. So Brandon has made a decision. He has made a concrete decision, and I said I would make sure that he makes a decision so you guys are not left in the dark any further about this, because I know every week, even though you kind of come to expect Brandon not being here for the last few months, you're still wondering, is this the week he's coming back, or is he never coming back? It's just I just felt it wasn't fair to the audience, because the audience is expecting a character that they know and love to either come back to the show or be you know, killed off. Not killed off in real life, of course, but killed off in the show. Now, you know what I would prefer? I would prefer very much that Brandon comes back to the show. The audience would prefer very much that Brandon comes back to the show. Very few people have expressed that they'd rather have Brandon off the show. Some have said, hey, Jeff, you know, I enjoy the show either way. But very few have said, Brandon sucks, get him off here. Most people really want him back. Well... Brandon is coming back. Now, he's not coming back tonight, most likely, because he's busy tonight. And he wasn't sure if he could make it back in time. So we did not make an announcement he's coming back tonight, because he may not be. If he's back, then he's back and we'll put him on. If he's not back in time, then it will wait until next week, when he has guaranteed me that he will come back. April 23rd is the guaranteed comeback date. Possible we will hear from him tonight. If not April 23rd, next Tuesday, Brandon will be back on the show. So I see a lot of happiness in the chat room. Fuck yes. Yeah! Nose breathing for the win. Opa. Nice! Bingo, bango, bongo. Nice. Everybody was happy to hear that announcement. So I'm very happy that he is coming back. And I'll tell you guys the truth. When I had this conversation with him, because I've been friends with Brandon this entire time. It's not like we had a falling out. It had nothing to do with me. And I I hadn't discussed radio much with him recently. I I gave him his time away from the show without hassling him about it. But I finally said to him, look, we got to talk about radio. we got to come up with a decision. Got to come up with something concrete. And I thought he was going to tell me, look... I enjoy the time I was on the show, but I'm just not into it anymore. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not coming back. But surprisingly, he said, yeah, you know, I I can't guarantee I'm going to come back next week, but uh, I can commit to the 23rd. I'm like, oh, sweet. Sweet. (laughs) Grenader Roger just said, this is an example of why Mikon split with Druff. Short story made long by Druff. I intentionally made this one long. Because I wanted to keep the people in suspense, and I know this has been a very big thing on the show of people wondering what's happening to Brandon. Is he coming back? Is he not? So he is. He's coming back next week, and uh, maybe this week. We'll just have to see. And I'm not leveling you guys, meaning he's not going to pop on in the next two minutes go, Ah, fooled you. I'm coming back this week. No. He may be here tonight. He may not be. I have no clue whether he will or not be here tonight. But he will be here next week. Anyway, I uh, want to announce a few things about the free roll tonight. First of all, we have one. Second thing is it's $75 tonight, not 55 Originally it was 50 thanks to C-Money. Very generous guy. 
Then it became 55 thanks to a user who sent 5 bucks, Marky2601. And now I just got a message from Trader SHKY, who donated $20 last week, that he sent another 20 bucks. So thanks to him, and he's donated other things before to this community. He's a very generous guy also. And uh, so now we're up to 75 So the new prize pool for the free roll, which starts in 20 minutes at 7.40 p.m. Pacific Time, the new prize pool, which I just got to make up now on the fly, knowing that this 20 has been sent to me. $75 total. I will make it 35 for first. 20 for second. 10 for third. 4 for... Th- sorry, 5 for fourth and 5 for fifth. There we go. 35. 15. Wait, that doesn't add up right. Now I'm all confused. Let's try this again. 35, 20, 10, 5, 5. There we go. Up. I have an announcement. I have an announcement. I've decided against it. It's not going to be 75 bucks. Forget it. It's not 75 bucks this week. It's 100. Thank you, Crow Diddley, who threw his entire first place prize back into the pool like an undersized halibut that he caught while he was fishing. He just threw the whole thing back in. $100 is the new free roll prize pool. Now I have to think of this again. I've got to do the instant calculations in my head, which I'm usually pretty good with, but when I'm hosting a radio show, it's harder to do. So uh, let me let me uh, <laughs> come up with the new values. I'm going to say it'll be 40 for first, 25 for second, 15 for third, 10 for fourth, 5 for fifth, 5 for sixth. There you go. 40, 25, 15, 10, 5, 5. Congratulations. Fluffers in the chat room. You know, I don't like talking about forum stuff on this show because a lot of you don't read the forum. A lot of you just listen to this show. And that's fine. But there's a guy in the chat room named Flupper. Fluffer, not Flupper. Flupper would probably be a better name for him. Fluffer. He claims to be in his late 40s, I think. And claims to be like this buff guy who works out of the gym all the time, says he looks 33 years old despite being 47, is not only a ladies' man, according to what he says, he's also a man's man. Sometimes he just decides to go the gay way and gets with dudes. But he mainly likes women, he claims. But he claims he's so attractive, everybody loves him of both genders. He's even post, posted uh, naked pictures of himself. He's posted pictures of himself holding up a sign saying stuff about PFA. Though I'll tell you, I'm still not convinced that this guy is real. And he likes to troll me all the time. And he likes to post pictures that are really disgusting. I've had to almost ban him a few times. He, he's kind of just barely stuck around here. But let me tell you the weird things about Fluffer, of why I think this guy might be fake. First of all, he showed up on like the first or second day of the site, which is fine. But most of the people who came here on the first or second day the site was up were people who knew me from the site I was previously involved in, which was Donk Down. Now, as far as I know, I could not 
link fluffer to anybody on Donk Down. And you would think a guy who loves to post naked pictures and gross pictures and all that type of stuff that was totally okay on Donk Down would have been posting up a storm over there. Yet I've never seen him ever post on Donk Down. I can't even link him to anyone. So I have no clue who this guy is. He could even be someone that I banned in the past. I don't know. Uh, I've never made it a requirement that you have to prove who you are to post here, so I haven't banned him, even though I still think he's fake. And you're actually allowed to be fake here as long as you are not somebody who is banned from the site. So if you just don't want to say who you are, you want to make up fake stories about yourself, you can do that here. It's not against the rules. But he's never posted a picture of his face, even though he claims to look 33 at age 47. He's never called into radio. He's in the chat right now. I know he listens to this show. He follows the site very closely and has ever since it went up. And that's great, but I think he's a fake account. If he's really this muscle-bound 47-year-old guy who looks 33 that all the women and gay guys want, listen to the show all the time, just take a picture of yourself standing in front of a computer with PFA on it. Make a video of yourself. At least call into the damn show. So easy to call into the show. He's here right now, but he won't post. He says, Druff, you really are an idiot. He's saying that in chat. I, I don't know how I'm an idiot. I mean, these are obvious things. Nobody knows who you are. You appeared from like day one here, and nobody knows who you are. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. You're welcome to call in, Fluffer. I would love to hear from you. Everybody would love to hear from you. I don't know why some people just won't call in. Why won't certain people call into the show who are here? I don't expect the entire audience to call in. I know some people like to listen. I know some people are more observers than participators, and that's fine. But if you're going to talk trash to me all the time on my own forum, you're going to make all these outlandish claims about yourself. You're willing to post a picture of your penis on my forum. You post all these intimate stories about yourself on my forum, but you won't make one phone call into my radio show. Even when you're right there in the chat and I'm calling you out. Anyway. Let's move on. It's not what I wanted to do on the show. I just see him in the chat. I'm like, I really want to hear from the guy. I'm not even kidding. I'd love to hear this guy's voice. I'd love to question him about some of the stuff he said in the forum about himself, about me. He has a lot to say about me in the forum, but he won't say it in uh, on the phone. Or even on video or anything. But that's typical of the internet and of forums. There's a lot of people who are phonies out there. There's a lot of people who create a persona of what they wish they were. And then they use that persona of what they wish they were to look down upon people. To make fun of people. So if you're broke and you wish you were a millionaire. You make yourself a millionaire on the internet. Pretend to be one. Take on that persona and make fun of people who, who maybe only have uh, 50k to their name. Ah, look how poor you are. Look how crappy your life is. I'm a millionaire. Well, in reality, you're broke. But on the internet, if you say you're a millionaire, and you post pictures of, of all your cars and, and, and your beautiful house and all this stuff, uh, then you can make fun of people who have less money than you, even if these things are not real. If you claim they're real, then on the internet, for all they know, it could be real. So that's what people, they live out fantasy lives and actually look down upon people whose real lives are not as good as their fantasy lives. So this guy constantly hassles me, oh, druff your fat, druff your fat, druff your fat. Look, I, I came on this show in January and admitted I was fat. 
I came on the show and admitted that I'm fat and I got to lose weight. And and this guy uh, who claims to be in such good shape, he he posts pictures of some some guy, some guy's body, but that's probably not him. Just so strange. I never got that. I understood and I understand anonymity on the internet. I just don't understand why people really enjoy completely becoming another person, completely taking upon details of their life that uh, are not real, and sticking to them for years. And in fact, looking down upon people <laughs> who aren't as good, in their opinion, as as their fake lives are. Crazy. All right. Let's move on to the real content of this show tonight. It is just going to be me unless uh, Brandon comes back, by the way. But I will take phone calls. Phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. The other phone number, the Mount Charleston phone number, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. Make sure to show your caller ID when you call me on either phone number or otherwise, your call will not get through. If you forget those numbers, you can go to the thread, official Druff and Drexel show thread for 416-2013 in the Flying Stupidity Forum, and the phone numbers are printed there, both of them. I will try to take phone calls, though I may not take them during... Times when I'm speaking about other things. But those are the numbers you'd like to call and talk to me. Anyway, moving along, let me tell you about some things that have happened. A lot of things have happened this week. First of all, we had a major FBI bust. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, it was announced today, against a mob run high stakes poker game in New York City. Now, I shouldn't say a game. They didn't come in and bust a game. They busted the group that ran the game. These were like really, really high-stakes celebrity games You know, where, where really high-profile people would play. These weren't just the typical underground home games where you find out about them and you can get in and play. This, these were like the, the elite games of underground games. The, the people behind that were busted. But there's a lot more to the story. Now, it's come out that a number of well-known poker players have also been indicted. Were, were they indicted for playing in the game? Maybe organizing the game? Or was this bust not about poker at all? I'll tell you what I read about it. I read the indictment, the 84-page indictment. I read it. I'm going to tell you what I got out of it. It's different than what most people are portraying it to be on the Internet today. So don't believe what you read on 2 Plus 2. Don't believe what you read on Twitter. I read the indictment. I'll tell you what I got out of it. Very different than what most people are saying. This is not an assault on poker. I'll tell you that. Speaking of assaults on poker, we did have one two years ago on Black Friday, April 15th, 2011. Two years and one day ago. So how much has poker changed since then? And how close are we to legalization of online poker in the U.S.? I'll give my opinion on that tonight on this show. Convicted online poker payment processor Chad Ellie, remember him? He appeared on this show on the other Black Friday, the Thanksgiving Black Friday. And we did a two-hour interview all about payment processing and his situation. It was very interesting. You can find it in the archives. It's called the Black Friday on Black Friday show. Well, Chad Ellie's back in the news. He's in jail right now. But he sued his former lawyer, Jeff Ifra, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I-F-R-A-H, for malpractice. I'll tell you about that lawsuit and my opinion of it and my opinion of Jeff Ifra himself. 
The ENET Poker Network. We have another shady network I want to warn people about. There are so many of these. Most of these are non-U.S. facing because uh, there's very few networks that face to U.S. players now. But the ENET Poker Network, which still offers games to this minute, really cheated and screwed some of their players. And I'm going to tell the story. It's not a very long story, but I will tell everybody what happened. If you're playing on the ENET Poker Network, get your money off immediately. They are so shady, and they did something really bad here to some people. And uh, it really disgusted me to read about, and I wanted to take some time on this show to tell people what happened there. Full Tilt Poker. They are joining the segregating players bandwagon. You know how uh, Party Poker did it, Lock Poker did it, where they're basically taking good players and separating them from bad players so the good players can't take the money from the fish, or at least can't take it as quickly. Well, Full Tilt is now doing something similar, but not as bad. It's called Beginner's Tables. I'll explain what those are, how they work, and how I feel about them. Bringing down the house author, Ben Mesrick. This is bringing down the house that was made into a movie called 21. And, you know, it was a book about blackjack. It was a bestseller. Uh, he's written some other books as well. Uh, he has written a new book that is going to be released very, very soon about the AP scandal. But it's not really about the AP scandal. It's about the owners of Absolute Poker. It's about Absolute Poker itself. It's about them getting in trouble. But it doesn't seem to be about them cheating. In fact, they're probably the protagonists in the story. They're probably the good guys. I'm not even kidding here. This guy actually wrote about the AP guys as the good guys. And this isn't even supposed to be fiction. It's supposed to be a real story. I'll let you know about that and how I feel about it and the added twist that uh, this isn't as random as it appears. Well, we don't talk about actual poker play on this show very much. I don't talk very much about uh, who wins tournaments or strategy, things like that. Like, for example, Negranu and Ivy won tournaments recently, but you know, am I talking about it? No. I don't really care, to be honest. I'm not a poker fanboy. You know, good for them, but I, I don't really follow that stuff very much. I don't really care very much. And there's a lot of shows that cover stuff like that. This show covers the scams, the scandals, the odd things that happen about poker, the things that happen in the gambling world that are kind of on the fringe of poker. That's the type of stuff I talk about here. I, I don't talk about, uh, you know, who's hot in the tournament scene right now. But I will talk about one tournament that's coming up. Not the World Series. The Hollywood Hard Rock Casino, not in California, but the Hollywood, Florida Hard Rock Casino, is offering a very unusual tournament in August with a $10 million guarantee for a $5,300 buy-in. That's a crazy guarantee. I would expect that if they're going to offer a generous guarantee at a place like the Hollywood Hard Rock for a 5K tournament, a nice guarantee would be $1 million. But this is 10 times that. A $10 million guarantee in August in Florida? Where they need, like, 1,886 people, I think is the number, to break even? Crazy. I don't know if they're going to get it. Now, I believe they'll probably be allowing rebuys, but uh, I'll talk about that, and I'll talk about whether I think it's a good idea for those with the bankroll to travel down to Florida and play in that thing, hoping to 
cash in on a big overlay? I'm not sure is the short answer, but I'll tell you more about it later in the show. Of course, by now, everybody knows about the tragedy at the Boston Marathon, the terrorist attack that occurred at the finish line of the marathon, killing an eight-year-old boy and a few other people, injuring over 100. Really, really bad, and something we're not used to in the United States. Uh, This sort of thing happens all the time in places like Israel. But to have a bomb just go off in a public place in the U.S., that hardly happens here. And... Obviously, very tragic situation. It's still not known who's responsible, whether it was uh, foreign terrorists or uh, some right-wing militia-type group. But what I'm going to talk about on this show is not the Boston attack itself, which has been covered to death in the media. I'm going to talk about whether this could happen at the World Series of Poker. And this is something I've always thought about, that the World Series of Poker is very vulnerable for some kind of attack, whether a terrorist attack or just someone pissed off about losing a lot of money in poker that just you know walks in with a machine gun and shoots people. The danger is very real. And I'm going to talk about whether I think this could happen or will happen eventually at the World Series of Poker, or if this is just a lot of fear related to a kind of fluke event perpetrated by some wackos. But maybe we're not really in danger you know, For the average everyday citizen I'll talk about that later in the show Something else we'll talk about later in the show Bitcoin Now we discussed this last week As Bitcoin was shooting up in value On the way to Reaching an unbelievable high Of around $250 It's crazy, per Bitcoin Keep in mind they were like 5 bucks not too long ago And for quite some time They were like around 17 bucks. So in a very, very short period of time, they rose from like 17 bucks to 250 something per Bitcoin. I mean, talk about an appreciation of your investment. Well, very shortly after the show, they started to crash. And Bitcoin fell as low as 50 bucks each. Right now, they're around 73. They've been kind of in the 60s and 70s for the last two days. But I'm going to talk about that crash, why I think it happened. Why I think it didn't happen, that is the reasons that are being offered for it that I don't believe, and where I feel Bitcoins are going to go from here, because I don't think they're going to sit at 60 or 70 bucks forever. I'll give my opinion, and I'll take your opinions, either by phone or chat room, when we get to that discussion. That'll be towards the end of the show. Uh, Before I get going here, I just want to uh, say two things. First of all, quickly get into the free roll, if... uh, if you are not there yet, you got two minutes before it closes. There's no late registration. It's at 7.40. It's 7.38 right now. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is that there's an alternate URL to visit PokerFraudAlert.com. That address is ToddWitellis.info. So if you go to ToddWitellis.info slash forum, then you can get to this site. The exact same way, it'll be the exact same site with the exact same content as PokerFraudAlert.com. Now, why would you go to ToddWitellis.info? That's Todd, T-O-D-D, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S dot info slash forum. Why would you ever go to that instead of just PokerFraudAlert.com? Well, it's an alternate URL if, in case you have PokerFraudAlert blocked by your workplace. 
Now, unfortunately, apparently some workplaces are still blocking this site through ToddWeTellus.info. I think they're blocking it through its content. So no guarantee you'll get through to ToddWeTellus.info, but you can give it a shot if PokerFraudAlert.com will not come up for you at work. I'm trying to lower productivity in this country through Poker Fraud Alert. My hope, being a Republican, is that uh, productivity in this country will keep falling as uh, people listen to this show and read this forum instead of working. And then uh, Obama will look bad, and in 2016, a Republican will win. So that's all part of my grand plan. So if you want to help me out in my plan, uh, please browse the site at work and do as little work as possible. But I'm serious, though. Uh, Tawatellus.info slash forum is an alternate way into this site. Okay. Uh, Seriously Serious is saying in chat, Hey, Todd, I personally know the chairman of a Bitcoin poker site. I can put you in touch if you're interested. I, I didn't get the joke until I finished reading it. Damn it. <laughs> I thought he was saying he knew someone who was uh, like involved with bitcoins. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, put him on. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I know who he's talking about. All right, so uh, let's move on to the first topic here. That's our agenda for tonight. We might get a Ken Scaler call. He went to Coachella this week, the Coachella Music Festival. He's going back on Friday again for week two. So I'd like to hear from him stuff that happened there. Always some interesting things happen with him at Coachella. Last year, he actually, like, he didn't have sex, but he, he he did a lot with a girl that he stayed with there. A girl he, like, met through some sort of, like, I need a roommate for my motel room thing. And then, you know, they messed around. And then he ate some, like, bad pot brownies and missed part of the day <laughs> of the concert. I want to hear what happened this year. But maybe I have to wait for week two for the better stories. Anyway, let's go back to the agenda. Let's talk about this bust that happened today. The Russian mob-run high-stakes poker games in New York City. The group that was providing them has been indicted. What the hell happened? What the hell happened with that? Well, when this story first came out, it was a very short story on ABC News' website reading the following. Reading as follows, I should say. Federal authorities in New York say members of Russian organized crime ran high-stakes poker games attended by professional athletes, Hollywood celebrities, and Wall Street titans. The authorities say games were an offshoot of a massive money laundering scheme. FBI agents arrested several people Tuesday in New York, Los Angeles, Miami, and elsewhere as part of the investigation. They also searched a Madison Avenue art gallery kind of funny, an art gallery is involved in this. Prosecutors are expected to detail the case later today. Authorities would not name the poker players. Well, the, the poker players got named later. This was uh, posted a few hours later. Bill Edler, Abe Mosseri, and Peter Feldman are among 34 indicted in a major FBI gambling bust in New York City. According to NBC4 and the New York Times, the FBI's Eurasian Organized Crime Squad executed federal search warrants earlier today throughout New York City, Los Angeles, Miami, and Philadelphia in connection with an illegal gambling ring tied to Russian organized crime. The investigation revealed that high-stakes you know, high stakes poker dens, offshore sports betting, and resulted in 34 individuals being indicted by Preet Bara. You know that name. He's the one who uh, handed down the Black Friday indictments two years ago. He must like mid-April. To bust gamblers, I don't know. 
Uh, Preet Bharara of the United States District Court of the Southern District of New York. We know that very well. They busted uh, the sites on Black Friday. They they went after uh, Netteller, very active office of the Department of Justice. Among them were well-known poker pros Bill Edler, Peter Feldman, Abe Masseri, Joe Mancuso, he's not well-known, Vadim Trencher, John Hansen, and Eddie Ting. Those other ones are not... Uh, well-known poker players, but they're among people who are arrested. Now, let me go over who's really actually well-known in poker circles. Um, of course, there's Bill Edler and Peter Feldman. They were big on the poker tournament scene around 2006-2007. Were both very successful for some time, and then kind of fell off the radar. Uh, Abe Masseri, he's, he's uh, been active even recently. He's been around. Most people know who he is. High-stakes player. Then we also had Justin Smith. Now, is it the Justin Smith, the scammer? The guy who uh, had the neck tattoos, who would take $12,000 loans and promise you a million the next day? No. Not that Justin Smith. At least I, I, I highly doubt it's that Justin Smith. Even though I'm sure he would have been in on this if he could have been. I, I have a feeling it's Justin Boosted J. Smith, who is a well-known poker player. It's possible it's a third Justin Smith we don't know. But given that uh, other poker players were involved who were fairly well-known, I have to think that the same Justin Smith as uh, Boosted Jay and not Scammer Justin Smith. But definitely, another guy who was involved is someone who is known in poker. Michael Saul, S-A-L-L. He was detailed once in a book that uh, he made a bet with another man that that guy would not get breast implants. He bet a guy that uh, he would not get breast implants and if the guy did and went through with the breast implants that Michael Saul promised to give him 100k. So uh, the current story about Michael Saul is not quite as jovial or humorous. Michael Saul it appears is one of the main co-conspirators in this whole thing. While guys like Edler and Feldman and Justin Smith and Abe Mosseri, they seem to be peripheral figures in this whole thing. They may not, may not even see any kind of real jail time. Yeah, I'm just guessing here, but they're, they're definitely not the major figures in this indictment. Michael Saul, the guy who bet the guy to get the breast implants, he is definitely a major figure in this whole thing. And if people end up going to prison for this, he'll definitely be one of them. I don't know if they're going to end up getting off for this, or they're going to go to prison, or you know, a plea bargain will be made, or whatever. But uh, Michael Saul is one of the main people they were after. And I know this because I read the 84-page indictment, which a lot of people did not. A lot of people are just reading the news story and going, oh my god, they're attacking poker. Not really, I'll explain what's going on in a second. Also, Molly Bloom, who set up a lot of past high-stakes private games, was indicted. And uh, she was even involved in the uh, infamous Alex Rodriguez home poker games. So... uh, Let me tell you what I got out of the indictment. It was an 84-page indictment. Name 34 people. I'm not going to read the names because uh, most of them are unknowns to people in poker. They do have some funny nicknames. I'll read some of those. Uh, Alimzhan Toktaknulov. Now, of course, these are a lot of these are Russian names because this is a this this whole crime ring has ties allegedly to the Russian mob. Uh, He's AKA Taiwan Chick and Alec. Now, I can understand Alec or Alik because you know, his name is Alimzhan. So A-L-I-M-Z-H-A-N. I can see why you'd call him Alec, A-L-I-K. Similar to Alim. Uh, 
But why Taiwan chick? I, I, presume, I presume this is a guy. So why, why would it ever be Taiwan chick if it's a dude? And if he's Russian, why would it be Taiwan anything? <laughs> anyway, then there's also Vadim Trencher, a.k.a. Dima. Anatoly Golubchik, a.k.a. Tony. I have to think that Anatoly was like the tough guy who beats you up if you uh, don't pay your gambling debts to him. Then we had Stan Greenberg, a.k.a. Slava, which is funny because you got this Jewish guy with all the Russians, but then he takes on a, a Russian name, Slava. Um, Hillel Namad, a.k.a. Heli. This this might be my favorite one. Uh, Noah Siegel, a.k.a. The Oracle. <laughs> the Oracle. He must have seen The Matrix one too many times. Uh, Dmitry Juzinski, a.k.a. Dima, a.k.a. Blondie. So I have a feeling we know what color his hair was. Alexander Zavruka, a.k.a. Sasha. I think he just called himself Sasha because it's like a, a, a typical Russian name. He wanted to sound more Russian. Alexander could be Russian or not Russian. Like Sasha, you know he's got to be Russian. Alexander Kachalov. Oh, how did I miss that? How did I miss Al- Alexander Kachalov? Isn't he a poker player? I'm pretty sure he's a poker player. Isn't he a poker player? Someone in the chat room tell me. Is Alexander Kachalov a poker player? I think he is. How did I miss that? I had to be making fun of names to catch that. Let's see. Alexander Kachalov. Oh, so it's Eugene, sorry. It's Eugene Kachalov. I knew the name. Sounded familiar. No, no, he's not a poker player. It's Eugene. Someone's saying it's Eugene's dad. No, it's actually spelled differently with a O-F-F instead of O-V at the end. Sorry. Um, we have another uh, Tony. This is Anatoly Shengrov. So then we had a bunch of people who were boring with no nicknames. I mean, if you're going to be involved in like a, the Russian mob and bookmaking and high-stakes poker, a- at least pick a cool nickname. Like Heli or the Oracle... Or, or Taiwan chick, when you're not from Taiwan or a chick, or Blondie, Marushka. Those are cool names. Then we had David Aaron, who's appropriately named DA. Isn't that funny when you're, you're doing things, you're, you're involved in a criminal enterprise and you call yourself the DA? Kind of funny. And then, uh, unfortunately, all the poker players involved here, they didn't have nicknames. Uh, Justin Smith, Abe Basseri, William Edler, Peter Feldman. And uh, the last two are, are also pretty good. Yugeshwar Rajagumar, I guess this is uh, an Indian guy, a.k.a. Mateo Hermat. <laughs> How does Yugeshwar Rajagumar become Mateo Hermat? And then Joe Mancuso, a.k.a. Joe the Hammer. I would not want to owe money to Joseph Mancuso, a.k.a. Joe the Hammer. Anyway, this whole thing is about two things for the most part, neither of them being poker. One is racketeering on behalf of the mob, in this case the Russian mob, not the Italian mob. And number two, sports betting. That's what it's about. It's not about poker. Read the indictment. Even though poker was part of it, even though poker was being offered in an illegal fashion, this is not about poker. This is the Russian mob running a gambling enterprise of which poker was a part of it. But the main thing that got the attention of the government was the sports betting. They've been booking sports bets, big sports bets, numerous sports bets, allegedly, 
since 2006. That's what this is about. It's not about poker. And a lot of people panicked in the poker community when they read about this. They're like, oh my god, they raided a high-stakes poker game, they arrested poor Peter Feldman, poor Bill Edler, you know, the fatherly-looking nice guy. They they may have arrested Boosted Jay. They arrested Abe Mosseri. I mean, we see these guys at the World Series. They're, they're not doing anyone any harm. They just want to play poker. They just want to stack their opponents. Now they're in jail because they were playing those New York Underground games. What did they do wrong? But they, No, 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 no. See, that's the point. They weren't arrested for playing poker. That's not why they were arrested. All the poker players who were arrested, and this is according to the indictment, this is not me guessing, was because they were involved in the sports betting side of things. The indictment claims that Mosseri, Feldman, Edler, Smith, all those poker players I named were involved in the sports betting side of the operation. And that, in fact, that they were taking sports bets that they were working as part of the sports betting enterprise since 2006. So they've been taking sports bets from people for seven years. That's why these guys got busted, not because they were playing poker. This whole bust came down, not because Preet Barra was care, you know, cared about a few underground poker rooms in New York City. This happened because there's apparently money laundering, there's apparently a well-organized sports betting ring, Apparently it had you know, ties to the Russian mob. It was being directed by uh, people back in Russia. Now, I don't know if these things are true. This is what the government's alleging. But that's why they were interested. Because it had mob ties. And because it involved sports betting for seven years. That's why. So you don't have to worry when you go play some underground game in New York City or somewhere else. That pre bar is going to barge in and arrest you. Now, it is true the game may get robbed. It is true the game may get busted by the local police and they'll confiscate all the chips and confiscate the money and you're going to lose whatever you have in front of you. You can't say to the cops, hey, uh, you know, let me cash out and then I'll leave. No. But you're not going to go to jail. You're not going to go to jail for playing an underground uh, online... Uh, uh, not online. For playing an underground poker game. Uh, you'll probably lose your money that you had in front of you or that you've uh, bought in for. But uh, you're not going to go to jail for it. You're not going to get federally indicted. You're not going to have an FBI investigation naming you in an indictment. No. This is all about sports betting. It's all about the Russian mob. That's why this happened. And let me tell you about my personal experience with Bill Edler and Peter Feldman. Now, I don't know them very well. But I know someone who knows them well. And the one time that I spent any time with those two guys socially, I was at somebody else's house, and they were there, and their eyes were glued to the television. And this was around like 2007. Their eyes were glued not just to one television, but to about eight televisions that this uh, mutual uh, friend of ours had in his basement. The guy had like eight televisions there where you could watch like eight different sports channels. And Bill Edler and Peter Feldman, you couldn't even get them to say hi to you. They were watching intently. And I knew when I saw that, that Bill Edler and Peter Feldman were big-time sports betting degenerates. 
or at the very least, had something to do with sports betting. They were taking it very, very seriously. They were watching eight freaking games at once back in 2007. So I just assumed at the time that these guys were just degenerates. You know, they'd won a lot of money in tournaments around that time. I thought they were just betting big on sports and were sweating all the games at once. But um, I, I can tell you they were very into the whole thing. They were very into sports betting then. And it does not surprise me that they were part of a sports betting enterprise now that this has come out. Now, do I think that makes them bad guys? No. I, I don't think that Bill Edler, Peter Feldman, Abe Masseri are necessarily bad people. I don't know them very well. I won't say they're good people. I don't know them well enough to say that. But I don't say that this indictment proves anything bad about their character. But it does prove, or it doesn't prove, but it suggests very strongly that these guys willingly were part of a criminal enterprise, allegedly, that you know had to do with the Russian mob, and uh, they were taking sports bets. Now you can say it's a victimless crime. You know, someone wants to bet on sports. You take their bet. You know, you pay them if they win. You you take their money if they lose. And, you know, who loses there? Well, I agree it should be legal. I agree there should be more avenues to bet sports than there are for Americans. I, I agree that the gambling laws in this country are all messed up. But if you choose to ignore those laws, if you choose to be a bookmaker, if you choose to be a bookmaker under supervision of the mob, you can't cry foul, you can't complain when the government comes knocking one day and takes you to prison because you knew what you were doing. You knew the risk when you got into it. Nobody forced you to take sports bets. Nobody forced you to live this lifestyle. You chose to do it, and now you have to pay the price if you get caught. That's, that's the way it goes when you break the law, whether the law is right or wrong. And you can't say you're, you're taking sports bets for moral reasons. Obviously, these guys took sports bets to make money. Now, speaking of money, Bill Edler and Peter Feldman, these two were kicking ass around 2007. They were just winning everything. I especially remember Feldman. Every time that motherfucker was at my table, that guy had a mountain of chips. I absolutely hated having him at my table because he always seemed to be the chip leader. And this guy was just winning and winning and winning. In fact, I was surprised when I looked what his lifetime winnings were. It was only like $1.4 million. When I say only, you know, that's his lifetime of cashes. I thought that he made you know, several million. But he was just running super, super hot in 2007. Uh, what happened after 2007? Well, I looked it up today. You know, he's one of these people, Peter Feldman, that I thought about a lot in 2007. Like, wow, that guy's kicking ass. Wow, this guy's like the new poker star. But then it's one of those people you don't really think about much afterwards. They just kind of fade away and you forget about them. There's so many poker players like that that you, you're, you're kind of jealous of them when you see the success they're having in a short time. But then when they're not succeeding, you're not seeing in the tournament news, well, Peter Feldman played today at this 25K buy-in and didn't cash, and Peter Feldman has not cashed for the last 15 times he's, he's entered tournaments. No, you don't see that. You just see who won. You don't see who lost. And that's the misleading thing about tournaments. You're always seeing who's doing well, but you're forgetting that 90% of the people who enter don't even cash at all. And if it's the same people not cashing over and over, then there's a lot of people losing. Like the money that's going into the final table that had to come from somewhere. It's not coming from the casinos, it's coming from the other players. Now, you all know that, but you, it's, it's very easy to forget. I forget it all the time. I see some dude cashing for like a million bucks. I go, oh my God, boy, I wish I was him. And I go, wait a minute. <laughs> what about all the people who had to lose for him to win? 
I don't think these were all fish who lost. I don't think these were all casual players. I think a lot of these are are the pros I read about last year who are winning so much. Anyway, uh, I think Peter Feldman and Bill Edler both fell into that category. Uh, Peter Feldman was tearing up the tournament scene in 2007, but then he slowed down. Still was hitting some respectable, like, mid-five-figure kind of scores, like, you know, 50,000, 38,000, but but nothing big. And he's spending an ass load of money, I'm sure, at the time to keep entering these tournaments to where if you cash 38,000, 50,000 every so often, that's not going to do it for you. You're not even going to break even, you know, hitting scores like that if you're entering high-stakes tournaments week after week after week. But at least he was still hitting them through January 2010. But that's more than three years ago. Then he went cold for about 18 months and hit nothing except for like a few small like 3K sort of scores, presumably losing a ton of money because he's probably still spending a ton in entry fees. Then he did cash pretty deep in the 2011 World Series of Poker main event for 54K, like 120th place or something. But he hasn't cashed again since then. That was uh, his last score of any kind. So he's cashed for nothing in poker, Peter Feldman, since almost two years ago. Bill Edler, very similar. He was owning the scene in 2007, but since late 2007 has not cashed more than 12K in any single event. And he's completely off the radar again since 2011. So these are guys who just either don't play much poker anymore or when they played were not winning. And I have a feeling it was the latter and now it's the former. I have a feeling they both went through a long slump where they did not win and shot off a lot of money. Maybe even shot off a lot of money betting sports. And I have a feeling they just don't play much poker anymore. And I have a feeling they also found that the sports betting racket was much more profitable. So, I mean, these guys have been at it since 2006, according to the indictment. So they were doing this even before the big run-up. But uh, anyway, that's why they got busted. Not because of poker. Now, sure, this uh, Russian syndicate here was offering poker. They were managing high-stakes underground poker rooms, catering to celebrities and uh, high-stakes players and millionaires and billionaires and all that. They were doing that. But that's not why the government was so interested. So is it an interesting story? Yes. Especially because it involves people that we know about. And yes, this is uh, Peter Feldman, the one who was nicknamed Nordberg, not Andrew Feldman. There's actually two Andrew Feldmans. Um, Andrew Feldman, there's, there's an Andrew Feldman who's a player, who's like from England, I think. And there's an Andrew Feldman who works for ESPN, in the poker side of ESPN. But this is neither of them. The Feldman I'm talking about is Peter Feldman, who used to call himself Nordberg. And uh, someone pointed out in the chat room, he was on ESPN a number of times for uh, killing the World Series of Poker circuit events. He did very well in those, including one I played. One of my most disappointing poker events ever was one that Peter Feldman won. He wasn't involved in the hand that busted me, but uh, um, I was down to the final, like, 22 people in a World Series of Poker circuit event at the Harris Rincon in San Diego County. And I flopped a flush, and I lost to not just one, but two flopped flushes that were better than mine. I flopped the nine-high flush, Shane Schlager flopped the queen high flush, Gavin Smith flopped the ace high flush, and I was out in 22nd place. But, Peter Feldman won. He was flying high then. And he was, uh, yeah, he played as Nordberg on full tilt. You know, very successful for some time, but just really fell off the radar big time, just as Bill Edler did in the last few years. But uh, both of these guys uh, were indicted 
And uh, something else interesting that came out of the uh, indictment that I read, the uh, 84-page document, which you can find if you want to read the 84-page document. It's right there in our Flying Stupidity Forum called uh, the thread's called Celebrity Poker Games in New York City Busted, said to have connections to Russian mob. In that thread, you can find uh, the document itself posted. Now, 84 pages may seem very intimidating. You're like, oh my god, 84 pages, that's going to take like 12 hours to read. No, it won't. Uh, Legal documents are very easy to read quickly because they repeat a lot of stuff. So you just scroll down. Like, you actually just hold your finger on the scroll down button and just let it scroll and just read it quickly. Like, scan it quickly and just stop it whenever there's something interesting there. Because you're going to see a lot of repetition, a lot of stuff you don't care about. Uh, You can get all the main points, really, and read the whole thing, I don't know, an hour or two, the whole 84 pages, and really get everything it's it's trying to say. It's not like reading an 84-page book, which would take some time. So uh, I read the whole document. And it, another interesting thing that really isn't being talked about is the fact that the defendants, the accused here, took a 50% ownership of a plumbing company as a way of collecting a debt. <laughs> so some gambler lost a lot of money to them I don't know if it was in poker or in sports betting I'm guessing it was sports betting They call him client number three Client number three owned a plumbing company called Titan T-I-T-A-N And uh, it was agreed upon by the owner of this Titan plumbing company That this syndicate that ran the poker room Or the, or the sports betting or whatever it was that he lost the money That they would take 50% ownership of his business so the Russian mob allegedly owned 50% of this Titan plumbing company And uh, they don't make it clear in the indictment exactly which Titan plumbing company it is But uh, I looked it up and I I think I figured it out I think it's Titan Plumbing and Heating Which has several branches in New York And I'm just guessing because it uh, it seems like it's like of decent size but not huge Like it's not a giant corporation but it's also not like one outlet It's like a, It's like several branches all in New York And since this took place in New York I'm assuming that's probably the Titan they're talking about Titan Plumbing and Heating in New York But if it isn't, I, I apologize But it's very possible If that is the one that uh, they are They are or were owned by the 50% You know, 50% of, by the Russian mob As part of a gambling debt Very interesting uh, That was the only thing I found As far as uh, who the clients were Other than that, there really was no Reference to who played in those games But uh, that might come out eventually too And you also might remember On this show we talked about a bust Also involving sports betting Also involving poker players Also involving the federal government This was a bust involving Pinnacle Sports You know the Pinnacle The web, the, the, the sports betting website That's been around forever uh, Where they actually had their agents Taking live bets from people in the U.S. And then placing the bets on Pinnacle itself But you had people in the US Soliciting these bets And then uh, others collecting the money And others actually you know, entering them in on the site And a number of poker players Were involved in this In one aspect or another Some with uh, getting the money Some with depositing the money in the bank Some with actually taking the bets There was even this uh, fairly attractive woman In Las Vegas In that Pinnacle bust Who did like children's photography of all things That was uh, caught up in that whole mess With Pinnacle But the reason I'm bringing up Pinnacle Is it's very similar Where it, it was less than a year ago I think it was like in October or something That uh, 
there was a bust where poker players were involved in sports betting and taking sports bets, and the federal government went after them and busted people in Atlantic City and Las Vegas and a few other places. Yeah, it's very similar here. Here we had busts in you know, mainly the East Coast, but also in L.A. and in Philadelphia. So if you are doubling as a bookie right now, if you're a poker player listening to this, and you're making some side income doubling as a bookie, don't do it. Now, I guess if you're working for yourself, you might get away with it because you're too small for the federal government to care about. But if you're part of a big operation, get the hell out because they're going to get you. I mean, it's, it's two of them now in a short period of time. And it's interesting. It's interesting when you see these guys at the poker table and you just assume they're winning poker players. You just assume they're at the table because they win in poker. And I really assume this because that's the reason I'm at the table. I wouldn't be at the table if I didn't win in poker. I mean, I'm sitting at the table with money that I actually won playing poker. I'm not saying I win all the time. I don't. I have my losing streaks like everybody else. But at least when I'm sitting at the table, I'm sitting with my poker winnings. But a lot of these guys are not. A lot of these guys are sitting with money that they got in some sort of shady fashion that you would not expect. So I never expected that Bill Edler and uh, Peter Feldman might have been sitting you know, with money that they received through a mob-backed sports betting enterprise in New York. I thought that they were just winning players. And for a while, they were. So you never know where that money comes from. Never know. This is interesting. Um, Rolo Tomasi wrote in the chat room, Howard Lederer got busted for sports betting, but he got off because he rolled his partners. I don't know about that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't know about it. Someone asked in the chat, Druff, are you betting on the L.A. Dodgers games? Is that how you're losing money? No. I, I don't really sports bet. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, they are slightly over 500 now. I think I think they're 7-6. and six, But uh, no, I don't sports bet. You, It's very, very hard to beat sports betting. When I do sports bet, it's like in these positive expectation spots, like those teasers, those NFL teasers, when you get the right odds and you do it the right way what they call the Wong teasers. I don't just degenerately bet on sports. Like, maybe every once in a while some token sum of money, but but really very, very infrequently and never for very big money because you're not going to beat it. It takes a lot to beat sports in the long run. Very, very hard. And anyone who says otherwise is probably lying to you or lying to themselves. Indy Rick said in the chat, bet on the team playing the Cubs and win every year. <laughs> I wonder if you did that study. I wonder if you did that study just like betting the money line against the Cubs every single game, how much you would have won or lost over the last like five years. <laughs> I would like to see that. But of course, uh, the Cubs are, are rarely the favorite for that reason. So you won't win as much as you would think. You'd probably still lose. But anyway, uh, let me uh, move on to another topic here. I, anybody has any questions about that, you can call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, or 702-430-1808 if you'd like to talk about this subject. If you want to talk about another subject, then just uh, wait till a little bit later in the show. I'll take some general calls later on. But I, I found that as a pretty big story when you see guys like Bill Edler and Peter Feldman getting busted. But don't panic. It's about sports, it's about the mob, not about poker. has to do with poker, but not really about poker. And that's good. That's good for those of us that play poker. shows that the federal government is not really trying to assault poker. They're just uh, 
doing what they normally do, trying to go after the mob, trying to go after sports betting. And while I, I feel the laws should be different, and while I think this uh, Southern District of New York office is mainly about confiscating money and not really upholding the law, you know, I, I don't have a lot of respect for that office. At the same time, I uh, I don't really get pissed off when I hear that a mob-backed sports betting syndicate gets busted. It bothers me much more when they go after uh, innocent poker players. But nobody who was busted here was likely innocent, in my opinion. All right, moving along here to the next topic. If I could find my damn agenda. Here it is. He didn't even do everything. See, when Sirius the Sirius is here, then I can just have him talk and I'll look at the agenda. And I can pretend to pay attention. He'll be, like, going on about something. I'll go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So anyway, uh, next topic. But I can't do that here because there's nobody to talk while I look up the next topic. Okay, uh, let's talk about Black Friday. Since I was talking about uh, Prebara, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, sometimes just referred to as the DOJ, even though it's actually one branch of the DOJ over there. So it's been two years since Black Friday. Black Friday was two years and a day ago, April 15, 2011. It's when they went after uh, Full Tilt, Poker Stars, and Absolute Poker, and it also came out shortly thereafter that Absolute Poker and Full Tilt did not have any of the player money they claimed to have. So... Those sites were also cheating everybody. And uh, AP wasn't a surprise. Full Tilt was a big surprise. But here we are two years later. Let's take inventory. Nobody has their Full Tilt money back that lives in the U.S. Nobody. Two years! We don't have it back! Now, yes, it took some time for the government to come to an agreement with PokerStars to purchase Full Tilt, thereby paying them the money. But the government has the money now. They, they have our money. The government is holding our money, and they hired that stupid claims administrator of the Garden City Group, but they, they haven't done crap yet. It's going to be the slowest process ever. It's going to be a long time till we see our full tilt money, and that's just the way the government works. It sucks, but that's the way it works. But I, I'm more interested in talking about the future rather than the past. What is the future of online poker? Now, I would love it if I were to wake up tomorrow and find out that online poker has not only been federally legalized in the U.S., but that I can play it very soon, that it's all ready to go. But that's... If I woke up and found that, I'd actually be in a dream within a dream. And then I'd wake up again and realize the whole thing was fake. Because there's no way that can happen. Uh, Unfortunately, we're just not that close to federally legalized U.S. online poker. Not only would a law have to be passed to uh, enable that, which is really nowhere near happening. We've had a lot of supposed close calls, but these calls have not been very close at all. We really have not come very close at all to passing a federal law that would legalize and regulate online poker. It just hasn't happened, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. Even if it did pass tomorrow, there would still be a long time because they'd have to write up the regulations. There's, There's a lot of red tape involved in writing up the regulations. Uh, Even if they have the software already, you'd have to be inspected and certified. There's there's such a long bureaucratic process that would have to be gone through before federally legalized online poker would take place because there's no framework for it right now. There's no framework to regulate that sort of thing on the federal level. There's no similar sort of thing exists right now. 
So it will take an eternity to get that established. So don't count on that for years. Now what we can possibly count on in 2013, probably not, but possibly, and a very decent chance of seeing it in 2014, is legalized online poker that you can actually play at the state level. Now we've heard a lot about the Nevada law that has recently legalized online poker, It provided that you're physically in Nevada when you're playing. It doesn't matter where you live, but you have to physically be standing somewhere in the state of Nevada to play in the Nevada online poker rooms for real money. None of those poker rooms actually are offering real money right now, but uh, you know the World Series of Poker is already beta testing right now. And uh, you know, I have a feeling they're not too far away from technically being able to offer it. But uh, still, of course, there have to be the regulations written to uh, um, regulate these online poker rooms. Again, unfamiliar territory. Even though Nevada does have a lot of experience with regulating gaming, they don't have a lot of experience with regulating online gaming. And that is going to require a lot more regulations on the book, more laws on the books. A lot more has to be done before it can actually really be offered, even though it's technically been legalized. I think the licensing process and the regulatory process is still in its infancy. But at the state level, things can move faster than at the federal level. So it's very possible we'll see this at the end of 2013, maybe at the beginning of 2014, or sometime in 2014. Uh, The Seven of Stars welcome uh, guide that they send out, Caesar sends out to their best customers, the Seven Stars players, actually promises online poker within the state of Nevada in the year 2013. They don't explicitly say, we promise you, but they say, new for you in 2013, and they say, stay tuned, and are are basically saying, this is going to be here in 2013. However, if it's not, you know, it's not like they're going to give you anything. It's not like anything's going to happen if it's not. They're just, they were predicting enough to where they felt they could promise you in a roundabout way that you'll be playing online poker in the state of Nevada legally in 2013. So that's a good sign. It's a good sign that their experts are predicting that, but Caesars is known to say and do stupid things, so I could easily see easily see it uh, being not in 2013, and I could even believe it didn't happen in 2014. I could even see us standing here on December 31st, 2014, and still we would have no online poker we could play in any state. If I had to take a guess, if someone said, guess the time we could play legalized online poker somewhere in the U.S., I would guess 2014. I'd say a year from around now, like April 2014. That'd be my guess. Could be a little bit before, could be after. That's my guess. Just gut feeling sort of thing, not, uh, not based upon any sort of scientific study of mine. So, how do I feel about that? Well, I think it's a good sign that the states are moving forward with this and that the federal government has has generally said, we're not going to really interfere. They haven't promised this, but their position at the moment is, if the states want to offer it, fine, go ahead, just keep it within your states. Now, Nevada has a more aggressive plan. Nevada wants to partner with other states like New Jersey and share the same player pool to where you will be crossing state lines if you're playing a person sitting in New Jersey and you're sitting in Nevada. Now that the federal government may get angry about and put a stop to. And while Nevada insists that they're not breaking the law by offering such games, I don't know if the federal government's going to see it the same way. And you know, the federal government is not going to need to put 
together an indictment or, or any long process like that to bust Nevada for it. They're not going to bust Nevada. <laughs> They're just going to send a, a, a cease and desist notice to Nevada and say, you're breaking federal law, stop it. And Nevada will probably say, okay. <laughs> or maybe they'll try to make a legal challenge to it, but uh, probably won't be successful. So um, this isn't a case where you've got some foreign entity running games and they don't care what the federal government thinks. You know, Nevada has to, they, they have to concede to what the federal government tells them to do. So we'll see if the federal government interferes with this uh, interstate poker if uh, states want to cooperate with one another. But I think there's a decent chance they won't interfere. Especially if it's only a few states participating in this. Whereas if it was like 35 or 40 states participating, I think the federal government would want to step in and say, whoa, 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 this isn't cool. We, we, we never said this was okay. But I, I think a few states doing it, they, they may back off and not stop it. And it's also possible that if this is a success on a state, at the state level, if uh, it works out, if the poker room makes money for Nevada, makes money for New Jersey, if states cooperate with each other, if, if it's all good, if there's not a problem with minors playing, if there's not scandals, if there's not other crap that goes on that makes it look bad, it's possible the federal government will say, hey, wow, this is working out pretty well. You know what? We want in on this. And then they will push through a law a lot quicker. Then there will be a lot more supporters at the federal level. And then it will start happening a lot faster, I think. So I think the states really have to set a good example here because on the flip side, if the state poker rooms are an epic failure, especially if they're ridden with some kind of scandals, then uh, you can kiss federal online poker goodbye for quite some time because this is kind of the test. This is kind of like, uh, you know, this is kind of like, think if you're a father and you've got a teenage daughter and uh, she talks you into dating a guy you really don't like the way he looks but she says, look, you know, he's a nice guy on the inside. Don't judge him on his looks, blah, blah, blah. So you say, you, you let her do it, but you say to yourself, I'm letting her do this as kind of a test. And if this guy ends up being a total jerk and, uh, um, you know, she has a bad experience with him, the next guy she brings home that looks like this, I'm not letting her date her. I'm not letting her date him, you know. And uh, I think that's kind of what's happening in the federal government here. In that uh, I think if the state rooms are a failure, if the state rooms uh, bring on a lot of scandal and controversy and, and problems, then... Uh, I have a feeling that it's just going to hinder any kind of legalization effort on the federal level because the opponents will have a lot of ammo of, hey, look, we already tried this and it failed. Now, if it fails just from an economic standpoint to where they just can't get enough players, then I I don't think it'll really do much either way as far as speeding up or slowing down federal legalization. Now, I do believe that federal legalization will be an eventuality. When Benjamin, who's two right now, that's my son, for those of you that don't know. When my son Benjamin turns 21 in 19 years, I'd be very surprised if he can't play online poker on a federal level, on the internet, against whoever he wants. But 19 years away, <laughs> it's a very long time. I'll be 60 years old then. Most of you listening to the show will be pretty old. I don't think anyone is hoping to see it within 19 years. But it'll come eventually. It seems like this country, there are certain ways it's heading where certain things will happen eventually, even if they're not going to happen now. I believe eventually gay marriage will be legal in all 50 states. I believe eventually online poker will be legal in all 50 states. I believe eventually a lot of other things will happen that are kind of 
on the way right now but aren't quite there. It's a matter of when. So, I don't know. Someone saying in the chat room that the federal government's going to have big problems with money laundering. Yeah, there's a lot of problems they could end up having with uh, federally legalized online poker. That a lot of it hasn't even been discussed that much yet. He just said in the chat room, I wish he would address the money laundering issue. Well, I'm addressing it now. I agree. I agree that it's uh, something that... These are the type of things that if the federal government sees happening at the state level, in these state rooms, they're going to go, oh, shit, we didn't even even think that much about money laundering, but wow, now that we have a money laundering problem in these Nevada and New Jersey rooms, screw this, we're never doing this. We're we're never going to let this happen. For those of you that did not hear the beginning of the show... Brandon Drexel Gerson is coming back next week, April 23rd. Made that announcement at the beginning. He is coming back. Anyway. Right now, online poker is a huge mess. I wouldn't suggest playing at all. If you're in Europe, fine. Go ahead and play it on the bigger networks, like Party or Poker Stars. But don't play these small, shady networks. I'm going to talk about another one, the Enet Poker Network that screwed people. Don't play these smaller networks. It's a freaking recipe for disaster. Especially if you have other options where you can play the bigger networks. Don't don't be enticed by the softer games. If you can't cash your money out, it doesn't matter how soft the games are. You can win a million dollars on there. You won't be able to cash it out. It's useless. So, if you're in the U.S., I would advise just staying away from online poker completely. It's just it's just a mess right now. It's just a big mess. I would just wait. I don't play online poker anymore. I I played it as long as I could until it became just not worth continuing to play. The games weren't that good anymore. The cashing out was difficult. Even depositing became difficult. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't believe how difficult it was to get my money on the site. It was I was like, Yo, this is just too hard." And the games aren't that good and they're like a fraction of what I used to play in limits. It's just not worth my time anymore. Too much risk, I'll never get paid even if I do win. Someone asked, do I, am I thinking of playing Bitcoin? No. Not thinking of playing Bitcoin poker. Would I use Bitcoin to cash out? Like on a regular site? I would use them to cash out small amounts and then convert it to U.S. dollars immediately. I wouldn't want to, uh, for example, do a 50K cash out all at once in Bitcoins. I'd be very afraid to do that. Um, Bubbles is saying in chat The winning network and Bovada are the best choices They are, but you know It's just too hard It's just too hard to deposit Too many restrictions Bovada, you can't even see who you're playing against You can easily get cheated there There's just too many problems right now And believe, this is from a guy who kept on playing after Black Friday But I just gave up It just wasn't worth it anymore to me Maybe you feel differently But it's just too hard right now And if it's hard for me it's like ten times as hard for the fish you want to play against. So, where do I feel we are two years after Black Friday? Well, we're a little bit better off. The federal government has gotten softer on online poker as far as uh, how much they hate it. They they agree it's no longer uh, violating the 1961 Wire Act, which they felt it was two years ago. Uh, the states are well on their way to having functional U.S. you know, legally uh, online poker rooms, like in Nevada. 
when I say on their way, I don't mean we're going to see them tomorrow, but the laws are in place in Nevada, and they're building them, writing the regulations, etc., etc. We'll see it somewhat soon. So it's up to the states to do the right thing at this point. It's up to the states to get it to work on the first try, to avoid any kind of major scandals or major issues, and set a good example so the federal government can see this is a good thing to legalize and regulate online poker in the United States. Because I really want to see it. Not just because that's how I make money, but also because I think it's the right thing to do. There's no reason to prevent people from playing regulated, legalized poker online when they're allowed to go to a brick-and-mortar card room and play it. If you can do it live, you should be able to do it online, provided you have all the proper regulations there to stop people from being cheated. So, I'm sure everybody listening to this show agrees with me. But uh, I, I'm hoping to see it. When I, when I come out with these pessimistic observations and predictions... Sometimes people think maybe I hate poker, maybe I hate online poker, maybe I'm wishing it doesn't happen. No, I'm every day I'm wishing that I'm going to turn on the news, open up CNN.com and, and see something about a, a big story about online poker being on the way to being legalized at the federal level. But I know realistically I'm not going to see that anytime soon. I will see it eventually, just not all that soon. So it's up to the states. And I probably will be playing on the uh, World Series of Poker online room when that goes live for real money. And I hope that works out. And I hope there's enough fish on the site to be worth playing on. Because uh, Nevada itself does not offer a very large pool of players being a short state, uh, a, short state uh, a small state population-wise. All right, uh, let me move on here to the next subject. Let's talk about Chad Ellie, speaking of uh, online poker and its legality. Now, Chad Ellie, of course, is the convicted online poker payment processor. He's actually serving a prison sentence right now for his online poker payment processing. In an interview I did with him, a two-hour interview in November on this site, Poker Fraud Alert, Chad Ellie claimed that he's basically broke, that all the money he made processing poker payments has basically been stolen by guys like uh, Jeremy Johnson, the telemarketing scammer who he was partnered with. Claimed he uh, came out with very, very little after paying what he did to the federal government as part of his uh, conviction and settlement. So he claims what he's going to do when he gets out is uh, go to work as a professional poker player. That's what Chad Ellie claimed when I asked him what's next for Chad Ellie after you get out of your you know, five-month prison sentence in federal prison, which began this year. Well, the new thing with Chad Ellie is he's suing his former lawyer, Jeff Ifra. That's spelled I-F-R-A-H. He's suing him for malpractice. Now, which lawyer am I talking about? Am I talking about the lawyer that represented him in the criminal case that was against him, uh, you know, that he's serving time for? No, I'm, t- I'm talking about the lawyer that he consulted as far as uh, the legality of online poker and the legality of processing payments for online poker. Now, this lawsuit is interesting because it's claiming that this Jeff Ifra guy, 
made $5 million in commissions from Chad Ellie himself by getting a percentage of payments that were processed. <laughs> how the hell is a lawyer getting a percentage of payments that are processed? How's that, how's that a way to pay a lawyer? Don't you just pay a lawyer on an hourly rate or, or uh, you know, hire him for a job at a flat rate? Do, do you ever pay a lawyer commission of money you're making? I've never heard of that before, especially uh, money you're making illegally. But uh, supposedly IFRA was paid in part through commissions of, of all the money that Chad Ellie was processing. So uh, he's claiming that IFRA made $5 million in commissions and that this, these encouraged IFRA to lie to Chad Ellie and claim that processing online poker payments was legal. Because, you know, if IFRA's getting a commission from every payment that's processed, of course he wants to say it's legal because it keeps the money flowing into his pocket, is what Ellie is alleging. He's alleging he was given bad advice intentionally so IFRA could continue to make money off of him. It's like if I'm uh, I'm dealing cocaine and I find a lawyer and say, hey, uh, I'll give you 1% of uh, my cocaine sales here. Uh, but you have to give me a legal opinion that dealing cocaine is legal. So I'm sure I could find a lawyer and say, duh, all right, yeah, it's legal. Yeah, I'll write whatever you want me to write. Just give me that 1%. Like <laughs> That's what he's saying that IFRA did here, that uh, IFRA knew it was illegal, but, but said it was legal just to keep the money rolling in. Anyway, uh, Ellie claims he would have stopped processing payments for poker stars in Full Tilt if he knew that, that doing so was illegal, that Ifra misled him. He thought he was obeying the law, and turned out he was breaking the law all because his attorney lied to him. I don't believe that for a second. Well, I should uh, qualify that. I believe some of it. I do believe that this uh, Jeff Ifra guy gave him a legal opinion that processing online poker payments was legal. I also believe that Chad Ellie was doing what I call lawyer shopping, and that is finding a lawyer that will say what you want to hear and to keep going around asking, asking, asking until you find one that says those words you want to hear, that's willing to put it in writing for you, and then you hire that lawyer because of his particular legal opinion that you want to hear, even if it's incorrect. I believe Chad Ellie probably did this. This is all my guess. I have no facts to back this up, but this is my guess, that Chad Ellie was looking for a lawyer to give him a written legal opinion that processing these payments were legal. So, if he ever does get busted, that he could say, hey, I had no idea. Blame my lawyer. My lawyer gave me this advice. I had no clue I was breaking the law. I thought I was doing something legal here. And then he could use that as a defense. And that's why IFRA was probably paid so generously. Can you imagine $5 million for a lawyer just to give an opinion that online poker processing is legal? Why is that worth five million bucks? So, anyway, I believe that Ellie was doing lawyer shopping, that he was looking for someone to say that even though he knew it wasn't true. He just wanted someone to go on record. You know, and when I say someone, I mean a lawyer, someone who is supposed to have the knowledge of the law, to go on record by saying that it is legal, so then Ellie thinks he's off the hook. I believe he was looking for someone to say that. Ifra was willing to say it for him, and that's why Ifra got paid so well. However, I don't think that Jeff Ifra is a very good guy. First of all, some of you saw him in the 2 plus 2 thread about Full Tilt. You see, he also worked for Full Tilt. And Ifra lied to people in that 2 plus 2 thread about the situation there. In the months immediately following Black Friday, Ifra told people that Full Tilt had the money. 
he did not admit that Full Tilt was broke. He completely portrayed a situation that was not true in the 2 plus 2 thread. And that was already very shady to me. Now, uh, he also uh, apparently cooperated with the Department of Justice uh, when they were trying to make Black Friday happen. That you know, Before Black Friday, he was actually cooperating with the Department of Justice while still advising Chad Ellie, And that's also part of the lawsuit. That um, if... Uh, assisted the Department of Justice in making a case against Ellie while he was working for Ellie, and uh, that IFRA lied to the Department of Justice that he was getting any money as commissioned for the payment processing, that he just completely omitted that, uh, according to Ellie. I don't know if this is true, but this is uh, Ellie's accusation in his lawsuit. Uh, so basically, Ellie's accusing him of throwing him under the bus with the DOJ while happily collecting the uh, commission off the online poker payment processing at the same time. Personally, what do I believe? I, I think that probably was happening. I think that uh, really did occur, and I think there's a good chance that Ifra was not indicted due to his cooperation prior to Black Friday. So I, I don't think this Ifra character is a very good guy. Now, he does have a few fans. For example, Poker Tracker. A lot of you uh, use Poker Tracker when you play online poker. They love him. Here's what they wrote about Jeff Ifra on their Facebook page. They wrote, We know Jeff Ifra. He's, a high, he's highly respected in the online poker business. We hope that the allegations in this article are not true. Interesting that they chose to include an image of Poker Tracker 3 in the article. We don't know why. <laughs> and then they went on to write, Jeff was one of the key lawyers who did the deal to get players back their funds at PokerStars and also the full tilt deal with PokerStars. So he's claiming that, uh, that, they, that Jeff Ifra helped PokerStars make an agreement with the government, which allowed PokerStars to pay people immediately, and, and also to get uh, Full Tilt to buy PokerStars. They claim that uh, he was one of the key lawyers involved. He is also on the ground working to get online poker legal in the state of New Jersey. He did not come off well in that thread, referring to the 2 plus 2 thread. We agree with that. Yeah, of course he didn't come off well. He lied. Uh, but the industry and players have benefited from his health in other scenarios. <laughs> so, they're big uh, Jeff Ifra fans there at uh, Poker Tracker for whatever reasons. Um, Garrett saying in chat Jeff Ifra is representing poker stars In their case to get licensed in New Jersey So I'm sure that's what uh, What they're referring to on Poker Tracker uh, Apparently that is being handled By Washington D.C. attorneys Jeff Ifra And David Deitch So I, I guess uh, I've, I've been pronouncing Ifra incorrectly it's Ifra According to Seriously Serious Thank you Seriously Serious If only you were part of this show right now You could have told me And I wouldn't have been mispronouncing that lawyer's name the whole time But thank you So anyway I, I think that uh, Ellie is I mean I believe that uh, I, I can see on one hand why he's frustrated That uh, Ifra Is getting away he didn't go to prison. He didn't have to give up the money he made. That he uh, he pretty much got away with everything he did, while Ellie had to give up a bunch to the government and go to prison. And that's got to suck. But at the same time, he, I don't believe for a second that Ellie really believed that he was doing something legal. I know he said it on the show with me here too, and I didn't want to be an asshole and just get in his face about it. I I asked him a number of times, but you know I'm not going to say no. You're full of shit. No, I don't believe you. The, you know there wasn't really a place for that in that interview. It wasn't a hostile, combative interview. But I, I'm sure Chad Ellie knew what he was doing. He's not a stupid guy. He knew what he was doing. He knew how much money was in it. I mean, the dude's married to a super hot former Playboy model. 
And he's like, you know, an average looking guy. Do you think he would have gotten a super hot Playboy model if he was making 50K a year? There's no chance. I mean, he got a lifestyle out of this poker payment processing that was far above uh, anything he had before. He knew he was breaking the law, Chad Elliott. And, you know, he was smart enough to find ways to cover his ass. He still went to prison, but, you know, only five months. It could have been much worse. But, you know, he found ways to blame it on the lawyer, and to get a lawyer who's willing to give that opinion, and then pay the lawyer very well to give that opinion. You know, basically with doctors and lawyers, you can always find shady ones to do things they're not supposed to if there's enough money in it. I mean, look at Michael Jackson. He had that doctor administering all kinds of things he shouldn't have been, which ended up killing Jackson, uh, because he was paying the dude 150 k a month. So, yeah, the, the dude makes... Uh, Almost two million a year working just for Michael Jackson. Of course, he'll do whatever Jackson says. You can't find just any doctor to do that, but you, for for almost two million a year, you can find a lot of doctors to do things that they are not supposed to do. And same with lawyers. So Jeff Ifra here, I'm sure for five million dollars, if that's what he really made off of Chad Ellie, I'm sure he wrote whatever Chad Ellie wanted him to write and gave the opinion that Chad Ellie wanted to hear. But at the other on the other side of the coin here, I I don't think that Chad Ellie believed it. I think this was all. Uh, Posturing for any future legal case Against him But uh, now he's suing Jeff Ifra because uh, One he's bitter that he was working against him And being two-faced And in that way I feel that Chad Ellie is correct To be pissed And uh, and that was pretty messed up to do If it's true And and he's also just jealous That Ifra got away with it and he didn't But again I don't really blame him because Uh you know, it's not fair. They they should have both gone down if they were both involved in this. If if uh, Ifra is getting commissions off the the process payments, he should be in the prison cell right next to Ellie. That's the truth. So I I see why Ellie's pissed. I understand the lawsuit. But uh, as someone's asking, is Jeff trying to pull a Sean D with this Ifra guy? Uh, this referring to my uh, incorrect accusation that Sean D was involved in the. Uh, Open-faced Chinese cheating. No. Ifra definitely came out to 2 plus 2 and said a lot of untrue things about Full Tilt in the days following Black Friday. So, this guy is definitely not a... He's not an innocent party. (laughs) Bobby Orr, who's in the chat room, who has, uh, I guess, Victor Ramden is hanging out with him. He said, Victor just said to me, this Todd guy can really talk. Well, this Todd guy has to talk because there's no one else on the radio with me right now. This is what it's like if I don't talk. There you go. If it's just me, that's what happens if I don't talk. So that's why this Todd guy has to talk. But but thank you, Victor, for listening to the show. And uh, from what I know, Victor Ramden is a good guy. So... Uh, you know, Garrett pointed out in the chat room, and I thought about this earlier today, too. Ellie is the only one so far that I know of that's done time. Even Ray Batar gets out of doing time for what he did. Ray Batar, oh, I have a bad heart. Oh, my heart treatment is not compatible with prison. Okay, Ray, no problem. You don't have to go to jail. I mean, Ray Batar is getting off. Howard Letterer is not going to prison. Chris Ferguson's not going to prison. I, I mean, it's a joke. Chad Ellie's the only one going to prison? Terrible. He Chad Ellie, he should not be the only one going to prison. He's he's the uh, the least of our problems. Chad Ellie was guilty of poker payment processing. I'll say that. Even he'll say that. But uh, he wasn't the real criminal in this whole thing. 
Someone saying in the chat, Nelson Burtnick will probably go. He probably will too. And you know, again, he was involved with uh, the poker payment processing element of it too. But uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how that lawsuit plays out. And regardless of whether or not Chad Ellie is telling the truth regarding uh, Jeff Ifra, maybe all his accusations are false. These are all just accusations. Everything I've said about Ellie, everything I'm reading from that lawsuit, I'm not saying is fact. I'm saying that uh, this is what Ellie is alleging. But uh, I do know what Ifra said in the 2 plus 2 thread was totally full of crap and, and misled everyone. And that leads me to believe that this is just not a good guy, even if he is working to get uh, you know, poker stars into the New Jersey market to further the potential legalization of online poker in New Jersey. Even if it helps poker players in the long run that way, he's just doing a job that he's being hired for. He's not some angel. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about a network run by people definitely who are not angels, the Enet Poker Network. This is a poker network, and not a very large one, but uh, it's a poker network that's been around for a little time that uh, is not U.S.-facing, meaning you have to be a non-U.S. player to play there. You also can't play there, apparently, if you're Scandinavian, which I'll explain in a second. But, um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that Bluff Media hired Seriously Serious. This is a story about a scandal involving Bluff Gaming. So that shows you what type of company Seriously Serious is working for. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's actually a different bluff. I want everyone to understand that the bluff I'm going to be talking about here is a different bluff than Bluff Media. It has nothing to do with Bluff Media and Bluff Magazine, so this is just a company that is named very similarly, maybe even if it's, it's intentional. So people think of Bluff Magazine, oh yeah, Bluff Magazine, they seem you know, they seem pretty much on the level. You know, that's cool, they're running a poker room. No, they're not. Uh, Bluff Gaming has nothing to do with Bluff Media. Absolutely nothing. So I, when I go through the story, understand that. Anyway, a site called Bluff Gaming, it still exists if you go to bluffgaming.com, exactly as it sounds, you'll find a placeholder page. And, uh, it was a skin on the Enet Poker Network. Enet, E-N-E-T, Poker Network. Uh, that Poker Network is still running, the Enet Poker Network, but Bluff Gaming is not. If you go to that website, you'll see it's like a placeholder. Uh, what happened was in April 2012, Bluff Gaming stopped cashing people out without any kind of warning. They just uh, wouldn't pay anyone. Apparently they went broke, and, uh, well, either that or they just ran off with the money, but whatever it was, the players were not getting paid. Now, on this Enet Poker Network, apparently each skin, and when I say a skin, these are individual poker sites that all feed into the same network of players. So if you're on Bluff Gaming, for example, you may be playing against uh, somebody else on a different site that's on the same network. Uh, So each skin, is what these are called, uh, on this network is responsible for holding the money and paying people. On certain networks like the Merge Network, for example, uh, the network holds the money and makes it safer for the players. But in the shadier networks, each skin holds the money, and then if the skin screws you, a lot of times the network just says, tough luck, I don't care, we're not paying you. So that's what happened here. Bluff wouldn't pay anyone. Bluff vanished. And uh, people were saying to Enet, hey, look, it was your network. You're the one who accepted them. Um, We want our money. So... uh, Enet refused to get involved. Four months of arguing occurred between Enet and the disgruntled Bluff Gaming players. Finally, in August 2012, Enet came with a final offer. They said, here's our final offer for you. Bluff Gaming is going to be closed completely. We're going to take their players, 
and transfer everything, including their balances, over to our to another Enet skin called PokerK1.com. Now, if you go to that site, PokerK1.com, PokerLitterK1.com, you will see it still exists. Uh, anyway, all of the Bluff Gaming player balances were transferred over to Poker K1, but there was a caveat. Enet says the compromise is that the players who have their balances transferred there have to rake that amount of money to be able to cash out their money. So let's say you had 10k that was stuck on Bluff Gaming when they wouldn't pay anyone anymore. You will get your 10k over on PokerK1.com, but... You can't cash out that 10k until you pay 10k worth of rake, which takes quite some time. Because what's the what's the maximum rake in a hand? Well, actually, over there it was pretty high. I'll get to that in a second, but uh, still, it takes some time. So the players were kind of pissed off. They're like, "Hey, this is our money. Why should we have to re-rake it? We already paid rake. You know, like why should we have to rake again to cash out? It's our money. We should just get it." But Enet said, "Look, we transferred your balance over to this other skin. Uh, you know, we made a deal with them and." For the skin to get something out of it, uh, you, know, you need to play on there and rake that amount. That, that's a fair compromise. Everyone wins. So the player's like, well, okay, it's better than nothing. So they reluctantly played on Poker K1, hoping to rake enough to cash out the money that had been stuck on Bluff. Well, within a relatively short period of time, about one to two months later, all of the accounts that were transferred from Bluff to Poker K1 were abruptly banned and blocked from the network. People asked, why is my account blocked? And they said, it's due to unspecified issues. We're just having some issues, they said. So they said, okay, when's our account going to get unbanned? Well, everyone was told November 1st, 2012 was the magic date that they would have these issues solved and everyone would be able to continue playing and raking to get their money off of uh, Poker K1. Well, uh, then it got delayed to November 15th and then Poker K1 just stopped responding to everyone. After November 15th passed and it didn't happen, they just stopped responding to everyone and just left everyone banned. So as of today, everybody who got uh, transferred from Bluff Gaming to Poker K1 is banned from Poker K1 and, of course, can't cash out. And they won't even answer their emails. So people went back to the Enet network and said, hey, what's this about? You know, look what happened here. You guys broke your agreement. You know, Poker K1, they, they shut down our accounts for no reason. Enet says, sorry, it's not our problem. Poker K1 is the one holding your money. They're the ones who have this agreement with you, not us which isn't true because, you know, Enet said this is the agreement that they're making with the players of the network. They did At the time, they didn't just wash their hands of it and say it's Poker K1's thing. They, at the time, they claimed this was the compromise that they uh, brokered. But they said, yeah, not our problem. You deal with Poker K1, who won't answer them. Well, the problem still exists to this day. Here we are, April 16, 2013. Everybody who had their money on Bluff Gaming, everybody who had that money transferred over to Poker K1, Never got it. And Poker K1 has banned their accounts for no reason. Enet doesn't give a shit. This is what I think happened. I think Enet, at first, when Bluff Gaming went broke, said, hey, you know, they're holding the money. If they lost it, tough luck. We're just the network providing the games too bad. I think that's a terrible, shady position to take, but uh, that was their position. They didn't give a shit. Then they saw a money-making opportunity. They got this some, some other skin, K, Poker K1, who joined the network, and they probably sold these accounts from Bluff to Poker K1 for some cut rate. And uh, Poker K1 thought they'd uh, be able to make it back and more by forcing everyone to rake what uh, 
what they're going to be cashing out, figuring that if they collect that much money in rake from these players, they won't lose. So um, that's probably what happened. The model didn't work out, and Poker K1 then went bust. So then Enet said, crap, well, Poker K1 is busto. So, you know, we're just going to wash our hands of the whole thing. We're just going to, you know, Poker K1, I don't know if they went busto or just decided the whole thing wasn't a winning proposition for them and just closed those accounts. That's what I think probably happened, more likely. But uh, Enet then said, well, there's nothing further we can do. We're not paying you out of our own pocket, so F you, you deal with Poker K1. Now, even before these problems, uh, the Enet network was a really terrible place to play. They were raking games ridiculously high. 6% rake, no cap. Can you imagine some of these high-stakes games, 6% rake? <laughs> you win a $10,000 pot and uh, a $600 rake comes out of it? I mean, unbelievable. So they're pretty much unplayable. Yeah, there's no way to beat them at that type of rake. And uh, also they banned Scandinavian players from the site, of all things, uh, from the start, claiming that they were all sharks. <laughs> so they're trying to keep the Scandinavians off there because they're too good. And also, cash outs were always limited to 2k a month on all skins, so that's always a bad sign. So, um, you know, the network has like a thousand or so players, usually. At least that's what they claim to have. I'm going to click on it right now to see how many players they have. It says... Oh, what the hell happened here? <laughs> that's so weird. 67 players. That's really odd. Maybe it's the time of day in Europe. It was like at 1,300 players when I looked a few hours ago. Now it's 67? Not a very good sign. It also says 67 players online, 111 active tables. How's that possible? I guess if people are multi-tabling. That must be it. Yeah, any network with 67 people online, you don't want to play on. Even if it's 1,300 at different times of the day. But don't play on that network. It's really, really shady, and these people got screwed, and I'm sure they're never going to see their money. So that's the Enet Poker Network. Stay away from it. Let's move on to another topic here. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, a or if you want to call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. Talk about full tilt Introducing their segregated tables. It's, uh, you know, segregation has never been a good thing. Um, it existed in the pre civil rights era in this country when they were segregating blacks from the rest of society and you know, made them drink from different drinking fountains. They couldn't enter certain restaurants, you know, had to sit in the back of the bus. Segregation has never been good. And for poker, it's not good either. Uh, segregation in poker doesn't involve race, but it involves skill. If you're a good player, you can't sit with bad players, basically. And that totally violates the spirit of poker, because in poker, uh, anyone should be able to play anyone. It, it, there shouldn't be restrictions on who can play who. If, if you're willing to sit down at a poker table, you have to face whoever sits with you, and, and vice versa. It, it should not be a case where they pair only players with similar skill. Well, Lock Poker did this really obnoxiously by just absolutely not letting better players play worse players. And that was, of course, because they're broke over there and don't want to cash out the better players, so they're trying to reduce what they can win. And uh, Party Poker did this as well, in a similar but uh, slightly different way. But uh, Full Tilt now is doing it, but not not as bad. 
I have mixed opinions about uh, what they're doing here. But overall, I don't like it. It's called beginner's tables. Let me explain how they work. And of course, uh, remember, full tilt is not the same full tilt that cheated everyone back in 2011. This is a full tilt that uh, is owned by PokerStars, but is still operating independently under a full tilt brand, even though PokerStars owns it. Anyway, this is how the, the full tilt beginner's only tables work. As of today, April 16, 2013, all players have a hand counter that starts at zero. I don't think you can see the counter, but everybody has a counter on their account that counts how many hands they play. But it starts at zero. It doesn't matter how many play hands you played prior to today. Now, if you have fewer than 2,000 hands on the counter, you can sit at these new beginners-only tables. You can also sit at regular tables, but you can sit at the beginners-only tables also if you want, if your counter is less than 2,000 hands starting from today. And um, these are low-limit tables only. The highest table they offer in these beginners-only tables is uh, eight, is $10 max buy-in, no limit. So obviously that's very small if the most you can sit with is 10 bucks. But uh, once you hit 2,000 hands logged, or 75 tournaments, whichever comes first, you can't sit at beginners-only tables anymore. So again, this isn't about your total hands played on full tilt. This is about how many hands you've played since April 16, 2013. But once you've hit 2,000 or 75 tournaments, you can no longer sit at the beginner-only tables. So the theory here, even though everybody will be able to sit at beginner's-only tables at first when they make their account or, or starting today, that, it, that very quickly people will get up to 2,000 hands and will not be able to sit there anymore, and these tables will only be for low-limit players who want to learn the game against mostly other players who also are low-limit and just learning the game because they haven't played that many hands. Now, here's my opinion. Uh, this isn't that big of a deal because it only affects the very low-limit games. And, in fact, it can have a positive effect, maybe, because it'll, embol- it'll embolden the fish who suck, uh, who are playing against other people who are awful, to think they're better than they actually are, and then when they move to the regular tables, they'll be more encouraged to play against the better players, and when they do lose, they'll think it was just bad luck, and, and not because they're, they're outclassed at the table, which is always what you want the fish to think. You don't want the fish to think that uh, they have no chance. Uh, but that's not all that likely to happen for most people. Uh, if they make this any higher, though, if they make this higher than $10 max buy-in NL, let's say they make it 100 max buy-in or 500 max buy-in, no limit, the problem is that this will be abused badly by multi-accounters, and it'll be defeating their own purpose. The purpose here is to allow novice players to play against other novice players for the most part and not be targeted by the, uh, the the good players on the site who are just looking to take their money. And this way anybody with more than 2,000 hands on the site will not be able to play against these new players. Uh, and, and of course, since these are low-limit tables, you would think this would mainly attract novices. And again, this is fine if it stays at low limits, but if it gets higher, what people will start doing is registering accounts in their name of their father, their mother, their brother, their sister, their friends, whoever. And uh, they will use these accounts only to sit at the beginners-only tables. And, you know, if you know a lot of people, you could do this for a long time. If, if I know 20 people willing to do this for me, I can play 40,000 hands at the beginners-only tables using only those accounts, and then when I'm not at the beginners-only tables, I can use my own account. So it's very easy to multi-account. And if you do multi-account doing this, then what will happen is, since most other people will not be multi-accounting, and since most other people will be following the rules you will have an unfair advantage when you multi-account because now you will have the fish all to yourself. 
And that completely defeats the purpose of what they're trying to do here. All it's going to do is punish the people who are following the rules. And yet, uh, the fish are still going to be playing the good players. So, if you want to keep it to the very low limit tables, full tilt, that's fine. But if you make it any higher than this, it's going to get abused and the whole thing will be a mess. I just don't like segregation of any type. I just think it's counter to what poker is all about. And, you know, like, let's say I said, I like basketball. I like playing basketball. I admire LeBron James for being such a good player. I want to play him one-on-one. I don't want to lose, but I want to play him anyway. I just want the experience of playing LeBron James one-on-one. So I, I get LeBron James' phone number somehow, and I call him up and say, Hey, LeBron, I bet I can beat you. Come over to my house. Let's play basketball. He'll hang up on me. He's not going to come to my house and play basketball with me. I, I'm not going to be able to arrange a one-on-one basketball session with LeBron James. They'll say, Who are you? I don't, everybody wants to play basketball with me. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm wasting my time with that. Well, in poker, if you want to, you can go sit with Phil Ivey and Doyle Brunson and other big-name players. You, you're going to have to have a big bankroll to do it, but uh, you know you can play with them. You can even play a few hands and manage to win by getting lucky. Uh, th- that's one of the beauties of poker is that anybody can play. That's how we have Chris Moneymaker, the champion. That's how we have uh, Jerry Yang, the champion, Jamie Gold, the champion. These are just regular guys who who played in the World Series of Poker main event and ran ridiculously well and won. They weren't top pros. And that's that's a lot of the allure of poker is that anybody can rock it up and become a poker star overnight if they get lucky in a tournament. So I just don't like the concept of any kind of segregation in online poker. I understand why they're doing it to try to prevent the bum hunting is what they call it, where the good players are or just pounce on the bad players and won't let them, you know, won't let them run away. And if they go to another table, the good players will follow them there. I, I, I understand those arguments, but I don't think this is the way to accomplish it. But you know, with, with what Full Tilt is doing here, um, and and you know, someone says uh, new players can play the pros, and this is true. Someone said that in the chat. That I don't, I don't understand how this isn't possible under the new segregation rules. New players can play pros, yes, but the pros can't play them. So, I mean, yes, it's called a beginner's table, but uh, you shouldn't ever restrict anyone from playing anyone else in poker. It's just against the whole concept of poker. I just don't agree with it. I don't think it's the worst thing ever if there's only low-limit tables, but um, you go any higher than that, it's a very bad thing. All right, moving along. I want to talk about a new book coming out by author Ben Mesrick. It's about the AP owners, AP being Absolute Poker. Scott Tom, Brent Beckley, Oscar Hilt Tatum, that whole group. You know, the ones that cheated me and many other people, the ones that stole our money, the ones that used accounts where they could see our whole cards and then played us directly and laughed at us as we were losing. Yes, those princes of Costa Rica. Those fine gentlemen of the poker community. The book is about them. Is it about how they cheated? Is it about their motivation for cheating? Is it about uh, how they handled the cheating after it came out? No, 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 no. Not about that at all. Um, Ben Mesrick, the guy who wrote bringing down the house about the MIT blackjack team. They made a movie out of that called 21. 
Ben Medrick, Mesrick, I'm sorry. He is writing a book about the AP guys. So, what is he writing? Well, let me, uh, I just lost my sound clip. Oh, is my sound. Did I really lose my sound clip? I think I lost my sound clip. I did lose my sound clip. Well, I'll have to produce the show while... <laughs> while we're doing the show. One of my favorite things to do here. So let me bring this uh, sound clip again. I apologize for the delay. I'm going to have Ben Mesrick. I had this all queued up before, too. This is a sad thing. I'm going to have him tell you what this new book is about. This was from uh, last year's interview. Uh, let's get some. On CNBC. Let me go to the right place in the video here. I am. I'm working on, a, you know, Sex on the Moon is out in paperback, but I'm working on a big new book for next summer. About... What, sex on the Moon? <laughs> what is Sex on the Moon? Is he really writing a book called Sex on the Moon that's in paperback? I don't even know what that's about, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, a bunch of college kids who launched uh, the in- online poker world um, out of a dorm room, essentially, and then they... That, first of all, that's not true. They didn't launch the online poker world. Absolute Poker showed up in, like, 04 or 05. The people who launched the online poker world were the ones who started Planet Poker and uh, Party Poker, and uh, like they, even they came a little bit later, but, like, Planet Poker, Paradise Poker, they were the ones launching the online poker world. You can even say Party and Poker Stars launched it because they were the first two big sites. AP came later. Poker Stars was already huge. Party was already huge by the time AP came around. But that's not the main point. Listen to this. They're brilliant kids who built an empire in a way and now they're being persecuted. What? 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 They're being persecuted? They're brilliant kids being persecuted. This is the same dude, Scott Tom, who played me heads up on Absolute Poker under the name Grey Cat? Saw all my hold cards, smacked me out of six thousand bucks heads up, and made fun of me as he was doing it. He actually made fun of me as he was beating me out of six thousand dollars on his own site that he owned because he could see my hold cards. This is the brilliant kid who's being persecuted. Listen to this again. Actually, and then they were brilliant kids who built an empire in a way, and now they're being persecuted. Um, in hiding in Antigua or whatever um, because they did something to me that was very American. And yeah, very American to steal from people. Now, is Ben Mesrick clueless? Does he have no idea about the scandal? Would he write a book about these people without Googling them? Did he try Googling Scott Tom or Brett Beckley or Oscar Hill Tatum? Did he try that? A.J. Green? Maybe learn that about these guys, what they were really doing? Is he really that dumb? Could a best-selling author really be this dumb? The answer is no. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what they did, and I'll explain that in a second. Listen to this again. World, um, out of a dorm room, essentially, and then they were brilliant kids who built an empire in a way, and now they're being persecuted um, in hiding in Antigua or whatever um, because they did something, to me, that was very American, and it's an intersection of 21 and the social network. Interesting. What school? Where were they? University of Montana. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Now, what's interesting here is not his book. And believe me, I'm not going to buy this thing. I, I I don't want to give Ben Mesrick any money for this book. I'll find some other way to obtain it. But um, what's interesting here is the fact that Ben Mesrick, the author of Bringing Down the House, 
apparently has a long-standing connection to the AP guys. Planned for years to write a book about them, even perhaps before the Absolute Poker scandal. Now, how do I know this? Well, in 2007, October 2007, uh, an account named StyleXX made a post on 2 Plus 2. The post reads as follows. This was made October 20th, 2007. This is right as the scandal stuff is coming out about AP. Just as it's coming out, but nothing's really been proven yet. Just when the AP scandal's hitting. The thread is called Ben Mesrick's new book, The Boys from Montana SAE. SAE was their frat. This guy writes, I've said for three years... Ben Mesrick's book on the online poker scandal won't be written for at least 10 more years. It might be sooner, but instead a bunch of MIT guys, it's the boy from Mont- the boys from Montana SAE Phi Alpha! Exclamation point. That's what he wrote. I've said for three years, this is back in 2007, Ben Mesrick's book on the online poker scandal won't be written for at least 10 more years. It might be sooner, but instead of a bunch of MIT guys, it's the boys from Montana SAE Phi Alpha! So what he's saying here is that he's claiming since 2004 that he's been telling people that Ben Mesrick is going to write a book about these AP guys. And it'll be about the boys from this Montana college, the owners of AP. That's an interesting prediction as far back as 07 to say that Ben Mesrick is going to write a book about them. Well, you might say maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe since Ben Mesrick wrote about these MIT card counters, maybe he would write about the AP cheating. And maybe this is just the guy taking a guess and happened to be right years later. But no. This Style XX character was tracked down. I don't know his real name, but someone tracked him down, found his Facebook, and found out through his Facebook that he was personal friends with Brett Beckley. Brett Beckley, who owned AP, co-owned AP, was involved in the payment processing of AP. One of the so-called AP frat boys. So the Style XX posted from a position of knowledge in 2007 that Ben Mesrick is going to write a book about them. So Ben Mesrick, and he claims he knew this for three years. Now maybe that's an exaggeration, maybe not. But definitely the Style XX had a connection to Brent Beckley. Knew him pretty well, and knew that Brent, that uh, Ben Mesrick would write a book about the AP guys. And then here we are, 2013, and a book is coming out that is going to be very pro absolute poker, very pro owners of absolute poker. Doesn't appear to be touching the scandal at all. And it's going to be a story of these brilliant kids who started an online poker site, even though it was against the law. And then even though everything was fine, the government came in and busted them. And now they're on the run. That's what he meant by doing something very American, that they were just running a business. They were entrepreneurs who the government went after. And uh, obviously Ben Mesrick, if he's known the AP guys for that long, obviously he knows the story. Obviously, he knows what they were really doing. Obviously, he knows what's really happening with them. 
So this is really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating to me that a best-selling author, Ben Mesrick, would do this. This isn't a fictitious story that's loosely based upon the AP guys, where he makes them into heroes. This is a story about them. This is like a, almost like a documentary in book form about their situation, just completely omitting. I don't know for sure, I haven't read the book, but it sounds like from his description, both on that CNBC clip and from what he's written about it, and even from looking at the cover of the book, that this is going to be portraying them as the protagonists. They're going to be the heroes of the story. He said they're being persecuted. People who are criminals are not described as being persecuted. You don't say a criminal is being persecuted. You never say that. So... This is very bad news. And all it's going to do is spread misinformation where the average Joe is going to read this and think, oh, wow, these are great guys. And they're going to come away with the belief that Scott, Tom, and friends were great guys who were persecuted by the government. Brilliant frat boys from Montana who came up with a billion-dollar idea and then got persecuted by the government and are on the run, and none of these readers will ever know the truth. So here we have a best-selling author that all he had to do was tell the truth, but he uses whatever friendship he has with them to write not just a fluff piece on them, but a piece that uh, purposely rewrites history. Really gets me angry. And he won't respond to anyone's request for interviews or questions. About oh, let's this. Get some... he, he knows people are going to be pissed. He's, like, he's, he's very aware that the, the poker community is angry about this and will not answer anyone. And when I say anyone, I don't just mean he won't answer me. He won't answer anyone. Sex on the Moon is out in paperback, but I'm working on a big new book for next summer about a bunch of college kids who launched uh, the online poker world um, out of a dorm room, essentially, and then they were brilliant kids who built an empire in a way, and now they're being persecuted um, in hiding in Antigua or whatever um, because they did something, to me, that was very American, and it's an intersection of 21 in the social network. Interesting. What school? Where were they? University of Montana. Interesting. Yeah. In case you're wondering about sex on the moon, I mean, how does this guy sell books? Listen to this. Maybe I should write these. I should write books. If it, these stupid books can, can sell copies. From uh, July 12, 2011 is when it was uh, published. Sex on the Moon, the amazing story between, uh, behind the most audacious heist in history. It retells the theft and attempted sale of lunar samples plus a Martian meteorite from a vault at NASA's Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center by a cooperative education student assisted by another co-op, an intern, plus an acquaintance. The story follows Thad Roberts, a University of Utah student and high-achieving NASA co-op in Houston, dreaming of doing great things such as becoming an astronaut, his love interest Rebecca, and his, accomplice, his accomplices Sandra and Gordon McWhorter. The group stole lunar samples from Building 31, had sex on a bed covered by the precious stones, were arrested by the FBI during a sting operation in Orlando, and sentenced. The book also describes Thad's release from jail. I'm surprised he didn't... Uh... Well, maybe he did... I didn't read the book, obviously. Maybe, maybe he did portray Thad Roberts as a hero for having sex on uh, lunar samples. That's sex on the moon. This guy's a real hack. And I'll tell you about 21. I never read Bringing Down the House, which is surprising since I'm a card counter myself. But I can tell you the second half of 21 was a really, really bad movie, the second half. The first half of the movie was good, interesting. 
Second half was the most ridiculous second half of a movie I've seen in a long time. Especially where the first half was good. I mean, it was just awful in the second half. They did everything wrong. And I don't know if it's because the source material was terrible or they just screwed up the movie. But, uh... Um... From Seriously Serious, he found a comment that Mesrick supposedly left, not verified, on a PokerFuse article that was criticizing the book. He wrote, you guys crack me up, read the book when it comes out, and then let me know what you think. Of course, the 2 plus 2 involvement and cheating scandal are in there. It takes place over 10 years, so that's just one part of the story. And your bizarre theory of my connection to the AP guys reaching back to 2007 is truly tinfoil hat territory. Anyway, best wishes. Look forward to hearing what you think when you read it. Now, this is supposedly from Ben Re- from Ben Mesrick, but uh, wasn't verified. Anyway, someone asked, "Is Sex on the Moon a picture book?" Maybe I'd buy it then. I don't know. It depends how his girlfriend looks. Well. Let me uh, move on to the next topic. I'd really suggest you don't buy Ben Mesrick's book because I hate to see him make money from the poker community that he's screwing this hard. Unless, Unless for some reason these descriptions are incorrect and he's not really portraying them as heroes, but it sure as hell sounds like it. And the cover I saw of the book looks like uh, he definitely is portraying them in a positive light. So uh, I'd be shocked if that's not the case. Let me talk about something that may or may not be positive, and that is the Hollywood Hard Rock Casino offering a very high guarantee tournament. $5,300 buy-in guarantee is not what you'd expect like... $1 million. But actually, $10 million. Can you believe that? A $5,300 tournament that is not at the World Series, just a, a WPT tournament at the, not even in Vegas, it's at the Hard Rock Hotel in Hollywood, Florida. And it has a guarantee of $10 million. It's crazy. So people are wondering a few things about this. First of all, of course, is this going to meet the guarantee? Is it going to have an overlay? Is it going to have a massive overlay? And how do you tell if it's going to? And is it possible that they might change the guarantee, that this is just a a publicity stunt, but that uh, if it doesn't come close to reaching the guarantee, will they change it before the tournament goes off? Which they can technically do. I don't know how much notice they'd have to give, but... uh, Anyway, it is an Indian casino there in Florida, so they pretty much make their own rules. Um, I heard from someone in the thread we made about this that, uh, actually the person who made the thread himself said this, PLOL, claimed that uh, they can do this because they're taking whatever the overlay is out of the jackpot pool. So they have a big jackpot pool, and that anything the overlay that's an overlay for this tournament where they end up an overlay for those of you that don't know is where the money they take in in buy-ins doesn't meet the guarantee. 
So, for example, if uh, a thousand people entered, they would take in five point three million, but they'd have to pay out ten million. So the overlay there would be four point seven million. So he claims they would take that out of the jackpot, but I don't think they have a jackpot that high. I don't think they even have a four point million, four point seven million dollar jackpot. So I don't see how they could take that money out of the the jackpot, even if that's where they're getting the money. So I I really wonder if. If if what the story is with this, I don't know if this is like a lost leader. I don't know if they hope the publicity will get close to two thousand people and they'll break even. The magic number is eighteen eighty seven, I believe. Where if there's that number of people, then they break even. If there's more, they make money. If there's less, they lose money. I'm not talking about overhead here. I'm talking about strict money coming in versus what's going out. So uh, will there be an overlay? Because it takes a lot to get nearly 2,000 people anywhere for a $5,000 tournament, especially these days where the tournament numbers tend to be smaller, except at the very, very highly marketed World Series of Poker. But even there, I don't think they've ever had a $5,000 tournament with uh, those type of numbers. The only tournaments that get near 2,000 people or more would be the main event, and those $1,000 and $1,500 tournaments that uh, attract a lot of attention. But 5K, it's hard to get five people, it's hard to get that many people to plunk down 5K for a tournament if it's not the World Series of Poker main event. So I think there's a very good chance that this will have an overlay. Now, they do have a trick in that, um, it, this is not confirmed, but it's believed that they're going to allow you to rebuy in the tournament, or re- at least re enter. So maybe if you bust day 1A, you can rebuy in day 1B. And, of course, pay the rake again. But uh, that will allow fewer than 1,887 people to perhaps comprise one hundred, you know, that number of buy-ins. Or maybe they'll only have uh, 1,200 people, but uh, end up having uh, 1,887 buy-ins. Probably need more than that. But uh, I still don't think they're going to meet it. I still think there's going to be an overlay, and I think this might be a publicity stunt so they can attract people to that place in the future. It might be a loss leader where they think they're going to lose money and there's a chance that this will have such publicity, all these people showing up there for the overlay, that it will actually make it to where it's not an overlay. And that's actually happened before. In fact, PokerStars has done this in the past, where PokerStars puts some very high-looking guarantee for a tournament and then it looks like half an hour before the tournament you're going to have a huge overlay and then somehow everybody registers the last minute and all of a sudden there's no overlay anymore. Or if there is, there's a tiny one. So if you're in the area of Hollywood, Florida, and you have 5300 to put into a tournament, this is a good one to do for a few reasons. First of all, there might be an overlay. Second, if there's not one, there might be a lot of people entering who are not typical 5K tournament players. They'll tell you, most people who play 5K buy-in, no-limit, hold'em tournaments are excellent players, and you probably don't want to play against them. I know I don't. But uh, when you have that many players, you tend to get more fish. And uh, I I just don't see a mass number of players going to Florida to play this. And I I think there will either be a lot of fish in this, or there will be a huge overlay, if there aren't a lot of fish. Now, someone says it smells like it could be a Partouche Poker scam. This is Partouche Poker had a similar situation where they had a big overlay that would have happened, and then at the last minute they erased any evidence of the overlay and refused to honor it. 
the guarantee I'm saying. So they they erased the guarantee, and there was no longer any guarantee, and it was just uh, the prize pool was directly whatever money was in the pool, and everyone got really mad, and there was a big controversy. So I don't know. It is on Indian territory. They are considered the sovereign nation. So who knows? It's very possible that they will pull some shenanigans like that, but that would make them look really bad. Uh, the Bartouche were a bunch of uh, douchey French people. It's, it should be called the Bartouche Poker Tour. Uh, even Indian casinos in the U.S. are more savvy, and they're less shady, at least with uh, at least matters of uh, public matters like this. So, while I could see it happening where they cancel the guarantee. It would make them look awful and no one would ever trust them again. And and yes, I think it's a re-entry. Someone's asking in the chat. I don't know for sure, but it probably is. But still, like, how many re-entries are, are they going to get? And also, if the structure is any good, a lot of people will probably make day two anyway. And I'd have to imagine the re-entry is only going to be day one. So if a lot of people make day two, they won't be able to re-enter, even if they bust day two. But uh, we'll have to see. I would suggest if you're going to play this, or considering playing it, that if you're in the local area, just monitor the situation. Just check really closely. Do not register to play until the very last minute. I really mean the literal last minute. Find out when the last time you can enter is, even if you have to enter a little bit late and lose a few chips from from blinds or whatever. And don't enter until the very, very end you can enter. And then make your decision. So if it looks like there's a big overlay, then enter. If it looks like there's a ton of fish in there, it's sometimes hard to tell, but you can sometimes tell by looking at the people, see who you recognize, who, see who looks like they know what they're doing, then enter. If it turns out that the hype actually gets that many people down there, or there's no overlay, or there's a very tiny overlay, then don't do it. So I would, I would uh, advise you to just monitor it closely and enter it as late as you can if the conditions are good. Now, what if you're not in the area? What if you don't live by Florida, such as me? Uh, then you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision if you're willing to gamble with your time and with your expense of going to Florida. Uh, I don't think that day 1A is going to tell you very much. I think you're going to have to see day 1B. I don't know how many day 1s they're going to have, but I think you have to see whatever the last day 1 is and near the end of it how many people they have entering it. Because guess what's going to happen? Let's say they have some really, really low number of people on day 1A. Let's say there's a day 1A and 1B, and that's it. So day 1A has um, 350 people. And you're like, oh my god, 350, that's so far off what they need. They need 1887. And then everyone rushes down there because the word spreads like wildfire that there's a $10 million guaranteed tournament and uh, and they've only collected about $2 million bucks. So everyone runs down there and all of a sudden you see day 1B has 1,300 entrants. And you realize that after the re-entries that there's no overlay anymore. Could easily happen. So I would uh, I would be concerned about this. Someone said call the Hard Rock. It's not a bad idea. Let's call them. I will call the Hard Rock. I don't know who will get at uh, midnight over there, but we'll try. That's never stopped me before. Let's see, Hard Rock Hotel, Hollywood. Get the phone number. Where's the phone number? 
Where is that phone number? Ah, uh, came up and then I lost it. Um, yeah, I am going to call though. So I pick up the phone number here. Again, producing the show as the show takes place. My favorite thing to do. Contact. Here we go. Pressing contact, nothing's happening. Here we go. What's reservations? I don't want to call for reservations. God damn it, can I get a real frickin' phone number? Can I get a phone number? Jeez. Why is it so hard to find this phone number? Why? Why? Hard Rock Hotel Hollywood. Here we are. I got one. Got a phone number. This better be good. Better be right. In fact, I'm not going to make the call. I'm going to have somebody else make the call here. Somebody I think would do a better job than me on this phone call. Thank you for calling the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood. If you are responding to a casino offer, you hear the music in the background tickets, here? promotions, events, or free play, please press 1. Promotions, okay. Please hold on while I try that extension. I felt like Oh, wow. If you are responding to reserve your gift and or show ticket offers, you can now reserve them online by going to Seminole. I like how we hear like, like two seconds of uh, Huey Lewis's I Want a New Drug. Like, first we go from 80s Easy Listening. Homepage. It's fast, easy, Now we're on uh, 80s Rock. If you wish to speak to an agent for any other casino offers, promotions, or events, please remain on the line. Yeah. Please hold on while I try that extension. Paradise and offers players this is such like a frantic phone line here. There we go. It's like a schizophrenic phone system. That's good. Nobody's answering. Thanks for calling the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Room Reservations Department. For reservations and information now, please visit us at www.seminolehardrock.com. Or you may contact us from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week, including holidays. For reservations in Tampa now, please call our toll-free number at 1-866-762-5463. And ask the operator to... All right, someone give me the damn poker uh, room phone number. That's what we need. I try to find this myself. You guys in the chat room look this up. Maybe you can find it faster than me. I, I'm determined to get through here now. I feel like I'm pot committed. Here, I found another phone number here. Let's see what I reach here. Please note. Our extensions have changed. Oh, no. Thank you for calling the Seminole Classic Casino. 
where we have live table games, the loosest slots in America, and high-stakes bingo year-round, 24 hours a day. Okay. Don't forget to check us out on the web at www.seminolehollywoodcasino.com. Dot com. Thank you for calling. If you know your party's extension, Thank you for calling. enter it at any time. Okay. For a property directory by team member name, press 411. Please listen carefully for casino information. I need to know some common Indian Para más información en español, por favor, oprime el do. Say, like, chief running duck. Press 1 for directions to the Seminole Classic Casino. Press 2 for Players Club information. Press 3 to hear our exciting casino promotion. Our exciting casino promotion that I don't seem very excited about. Information. Press 5 for bingo jackpot and promotions. Press six for the team member hurricane hotline. Press seven <laughs> hurricane hotline. for other departments. Press zero to reach our next available operator. This guy sounds like he needs to go back to I'll transfer you now. all the money they make, they should find a better voiceover guy. Thank you for calling the Hurricane Hotline. Hello, you have reached the operator. A live operator is available from 9 a.m. until 11 p.m. daily. Jeez. If you've reached this message, we are away from the desk or on another... Oh, my goodness. Let's try this some other department here. What if I want to call for the front desk and say I'm going to be late checking in? I can't do that? Please note, our extensions have changed. Thank you for calling the Seminole Classic Casino, where we have live table games, the loosest slots in America, and high-stakes bingo year-round, 24 hours a day. I don't think I trust them to run a $10 million tournament if they don't answer the, the phone. At www.seminolehollywoodcasino.com. Thank you for calling. If you know your Thank you for calling. please enter it at any time. For a property directory by team member name, press... I'm going to try to start guessing team Please members. Listen soon. carefully for casino information options. Para más información en español, por favor, oprime el do. Oh, por favor, oprime dos. El chico loco. Press is one for directions to the Seminole Classic Casino. Press two for Players Club information. Players Club information. Seminole Classic Casino's Players Club is open 24 hours a day, oh, seven sweet. days a week. And get on it's the phone. Fun, it's fast and it's free. Become a Seminole Players Club card member today. Okay. Earn points for I free want to speak to them right now. For more information, please visit us on the web. No, not the web. I want the phone. Seminolehollywoodcasino. I want the phone now. Press one to speak with a Players Club representative. Oh, sweet. Please answer that phone. Please hold on while I try that extension. Name that tune. Players Club, this is Keith. How can I help you? Oh, I got some person. I can't fucking believe I got someone on the phone. Hey, this is El Chico Loco. I'm trying to call up about the poker room promotion, but it's it's so hard to get a person on here. I cannot believe like we like, actually don't have a poker in our in in this property. Well, no, 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 no. I I I, I hear about this. You got something going on here where like in August they're gonna have some poker tournament where you win like like ten million dollars guaranteed. Do you know about? this? I believe you need to call Hard Rock for that. Oh, what I reach here. Um, the Seminole Classic. Oh man, you know this. The problem, man. You know, in, in Mexico is into, you know, like the Mexico Classic, the Mexico this, the Mexico that. It's you know, it's just the Mexico, you know. 
So okay, so can you give me the phone number for this uh, this uh, Seminole uh, Hard Rock or whatever that is? Nine five four. Wait, hold hold on a second. I, I hold on. I got the oh crap. I, I ran out of paper. Hold on. I got to write on the Taco Bell wrapper. Hold on here. Okay, g- give me the number again. Nine five four. Uh huh. Three two seven. Yeah. Seven six. Two five. All right. Um. So, so I gotta call up that that hard rock. So, what if I reach here? The Seminole Classic, you say? Why, why you call yourself? Yes. Cla- why you call yourself Classic? I mean, the place is all old and run down. No. Why is it called the Classic? Just, what 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 what, what, classic. what is Classic about your place though? If, if I come down, we there, are what, old. You're old. Okay, that's what I'm trying with to ask. Hard rock. You know, I I I could say my mama's Classic too, but I don't think no, no guys want to get with her. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. Have okay. a good day, sir. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, someone's giving me a hard time that they already typed that number in chat. I, I was happier to hear it from uh, that nice lady there at the Seminole Classic. She didn't know what to say to that. Thank you for calling the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in no, Hollywood. Not this again. No. It's like an endless loop. Including show tickets, promotions, events, or free play, please press 1. To book your hotel room, press 2. To reach a casino host, press 3. Oh, I need a casino host. Please hold on while I try that extension. Please be aware that guests must... I, what am I aware of? They couldn't hear. They didn't finish. Please be aware that guests must... I'll never know. This phone system gives me seizures. I'm not even kidding. The music's different every second. They interrupt it. Thanks for calling the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Room Reservations Department. For reservations and information uh, now, please visit us at www.seminolehardrock.com or you may contact us from 8 a.m. to 9 I give up. I give up. You can't reach them. You can reach the classic. You can't reach the... Uh, the Hard Rock that's offering a ten million guarantee. How how can they offer ten million guarantee and not answer the phone twenty four seven? Like how how can you just like not reach anyone at the hotel? How's that possible? I, I've, like there's like crappy little motels on the side of the road. I can reach them twenty four seven. Like I can get the proprietor out of bed at three in the morning if I if I call enough times. This thing you just can't reach anyone. I mean, I tried room reservations, but I, actually, I think the room reservations, if I can't get anyone on the phone, I, I'm pretty sure it's just like a, a third-party operator that's taking calls for a bunch of different hotels. They won't be able to answer anything. Yeah, that just makes it even sketchier. And now I don't know what advice to give. I, I could totally see this place now screwing people. They won't even answer the phone. I mean, you you think it's not a big deal they don't answer the phone, but I mean, this is a $10 million guarantee. How could a place with a $10 million guarantee... That could have a huge overlay for and lose millions of dollars. Like, how could that be the same place that you cannot reach on the phone at midnight at a casino? How can you not reach a casino on the phone at midnight? How can you not reach a casino hotel on the phone at midnight? I'm taking this phone call. I don't care. Call you on the air. Hi, this is Val. That's what I was hoping it was when I saw that 602 area code. Hello, uh, this is Val's R former co-host of the former Druff, Drexel, and Val show. Welcome back, at least for right now. 
hold on, I need to get rid of the echo here. Yeah, I do hear an echo. Okay, that's better. Hey, what's up? So hi, you know, very very nice to hear from you again. It's been a while since we've heard your voice on this show, and uh, you know I've been talking so long myself. Even uh, even Victor Ramden is being driven crazy. So. Uh... <laughs> well, I was briefly listening in and out as I was bustling around trying to get dinner on the table, and I was reminded once again that you are amazing on the radio, even all by yourself. Well, thank you. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, dinner time there. It's like uh, nine thirty. It's a late dinner. It is late. Uh, my daughter's working on the assignment that's due tomorrow and and she's upstairs trying very hard to keep everything quiet because she's actually recording herself so i was trying to cook as quietly as i could and (laughs) i snuck outside to make this phone call i see so this is the reverse usually the daughter sneaks outside to make a phone call she's not supposed to be making (laughs) we have we have the mother sneaking yeah in our house the mom sneaks outside yeah yeah um so I, I, there's a couple of things that are going on in the chat room, and, and one of them is that people are accusing bad guy of being a murderer, which is really bizarre and out there. I don't know what you have to say about that, but people wanted me to ask you about it. Well, um, I mean, we can. He said he just asked in the chat, "Can we do the murder interview with vowels on the lines?" I, I don't know how we go from a, a ten ten million dollar maybe guaranteed tournament to murder. But uh, apparently, he's, apparently he's demanding that you're part of the conversation. It's kind of like when they when they bring in a suspect and they want to get a confession out of him, and he's like, "You know what? I'm not going to tell you guys what happened with that body unless you bring in the cop that I like. Bring in the pretty cop that I like. I don't want to tell you. I think that's what he's asking." But here. I mean, I, I guess he just wants a female point of view, and I'm willing to listen and, and judge. But yeah. I, so this, this honestly, is the background. At this point, I have no idea. Right. So here's the background. I'm, I'm happy to accommodate this, especially at this point in the show. But this is what I heard happened. I actually didn't hear the show because it actually wasn't on this show where the first part of this occurred. But um, I, I guess that I think a China maniac was doing some show, and uh, I don't even remember if it was on this. Sh- site or if it was on Vegas Poker Radio when it existed before uh, um, before Jason was outed as a scammer. But anyway, Bad Guy came on and, and talked about something about a previous girlfriend he had dying and uh, an accidental death that occurred. And then at one point during the, during the long conversation, maybe even it was Jason who was the host. It was somebody who was... Uh, yeah, um Bad guy saying he was on Vegas Poker Radio, which is now defunct. But um, at one point, bad guy supposedly set, talked about, quote, the murder weapon, which is what everybody likes to talk about, where he was talking about this accidental shooting death. And I didn't hear this myself, but that uh, at one point he said the murder weapon, which people thought was him accidentally revealing the truth when it was supposed to be an accident. Right, right. That's right. He supposed... used the word murder. That's right. Okay. Instead of the suicide weapon, I guess she committed suicide with a gun. He said the murder weapon. So it could have just been a slip of the tongue. It could have just been that the, the term suicide weapon isn't as well used. Yeah, yeah. Weapon. So, so uh, um, bad guy wants to give his side of the story because it was recently brought up in the forum by, by our user named Sonatine that uh, trying to accuse bad guy of being a murderer and asking, uh, does murder count as a right. fraud? On and Poker I actually Fraudler. did read some of that thread. So Sonatine sounded as if he was convinced that this was all bogus. Call and from unknown caller. To accept, press 1. To send a voicemail. 
All right, so uh, we have uh, we have Bad Guy on here with that weird message at the beginning that our phone system gives sometimes. But uh, Bad Guy, welcome to the show here. And how's it uh, going, guys? By the way, I, I oh didn't, yes, I, I love the vowels are on here. That's I, the only way I would talk about it. You're I, right, I, bro. I, I, I love I love vowels too. By the way, we also got the phone number for the Hard Rocks Poker Room thanks to Sandwich in the chat room. So we'll try that after this little. Uh, well, interview. you want to call it first? Uh, I'll I, shut up. I'll I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think now that we brought this up, I think everyone wants to hear about murder. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a joke, but I mean, I mean, everybody wants to. If, if somebody can produce this, first off, I would love someone to produce it. And I even told you. I PM'd you. I'd be willing to do a free roll chat, a free roll poker thing, whatever these people want, because I don't believe I said that. I don't believe I said anything about, I mean, if I said murder weapon, I might have said when the cops left, because when the cops left the first, when they left, man, they left the gun there, and they asked me about it. So I don't know about you said murder weapon there, because, hey, to me, she murdered herself. Okay, I mean, well, that's what she did. Let's go back to the beginning. This was a okay, girl that you were dating or that you were serious okay, about? Okay, no, I was serious about it. Uh, I went out with this girl for almost two years. Listen, if you were going to kill yourself Wait, in Pittsburgh, you, ha- you had to go see her. She just got a new job. She she was a psychiatrist. Like, if you wanted to kill yourself, you had to go see her in the morning. I'm not even kidding you on this. This is what this girl did. There was no signs of anything that she was going to do anything like this or anything like that. And that night and there was no And you had no sign. clue that she was odd no. or that something was yeah, odd? Yeah, I'm not telling I mean, you. I think, yeah, I think this, is, I I, I think this yeah. is the, no. the ultimate version uh-huh. of taking your work home with you. Excuse me? I think this I is the, you said, no, I, th- you I think this is real. the ultimate version of taking your work home with you. I mean, that's that's taking it too far. No, no, listen. No, this isn't even a joke, man. But listen, on January 1st, now we had a. She got pregnant on in November, and she lost the baby. And on January first, okay. before before we go into these details, let's get the. Yeah, I'm How old was she I, at the time of suicide? Okay. She, she she was thirty two. Had she's everything. 32. Brand new house. Brand new house. She was a psychiatrist. So she she, she made she made over a hundred and some thousand dollars a year. She made over a hundred and some thousand dollars a year. Okay. But she came from a rough background. I'll tell you the background her... story. Okay. For two right. years. Okay, she came, she lived in the middle of Pennsylvania in a hick town. She was very embarrassed of her mom, who I met. And her mom is not a bad lady. But, you know, she drank, she did drugs with her mom. Let, she wasn't let, that let me guess. with her dad. Let but me guess that she didn't. Straight she did, what kind of moonshiners, man. Let me, let me guess that she the did mom, not. I, I bet her mom did not live in a residential neighborhood. Is that true? The mom, the only thing I ever seen the mom do was smoke weed. But the mom, I mean, these people were straight out of moonshiners. Like the mom's boyfriend, she told me lived in a trailer, and she paid for everything for her mom. Like she, she, if it wasn't for her, her mom wouldn't even have a house or something. And she told me how bad her childhood was. She said she never even opened up to you know her old boyfriend about it. I ran to this chick at a bar because I was at a bar. This is a true story. I'll tell you how I met this chick if you want to go back that far. I was at a bar that I always go to around my town. I ran into this girl. There was three guys in there. I was talking to the bartender because I went to this bar in town. We were talking about gambling. These guys, I'd never seen this bar before. There was three of them. And they went from around okay, wait, here because I would not. Give us a discussion. Yeah, she's not bad. She, she, 
Yeah, she's she's not a bad looking girl at all. No, no, no. I don't date bad looking girls, Miles. I mean, come on. No, the guy has standards. No, she's he, a he, 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 he lives in a residential neighborhood. Of course, he she dates good looking girls. She was a fake blonde, and I'm gonna get into this too if we if we can okay. talk about fake her. blonde, big breasts. Yeah, good breasts. I'd say she was uh, 34 C. I okay, mean, so, it was it was so decent. But listen, hold this girl was thin. weird though. I'm gonna tell you something. No, yeah, she was thin in a way, but she had a big ass, sort of like the big ass. Kind of they were drunk. Yeah, she had a big okay. butt. So a, but a nice thin girl in her thirties with blonde, big ask. blonde hair, medium sized big brown boots, eyes, nice big body. brown eyes. Okay, nice so big brown hot. eyes. I mean, yeah, I mean, was she a hot girl ever dated? By no means, no. But she was, she was very smart, and but she was attractive. Yeah, I mean, this girl had it together. And then you go to her house; she definitely had it together. I mean, she had everything. But you know, guys ain't take, girls like that aren't taking bad guy home. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, I knew there was something up with this chick. I mean, just for you know, what I mean, just you just knew along you, you the way. I mean, I, I'm not going to double myself up to a girl. Excuse me? I didn't you know, hear you said I didn't hear you. So she's, she's attractive, and she's wealthy, and she's right. uh, got her shit together, and so why is she taking you home is the question. What, 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 well, here's the thing. Well, I'm going to tell you the story. Now, I gave these guys my number because I was talking about gambling that night, and I got some kind of weird number on my cell phone. It was from a uh, 517 area code, I believe, and that's like in Philadelphia. And I didn't answer it. Well, I ran to this chick not even two weeks later during the NCAA tournament with St. Patrick's Day, and I came up to her, and I said, you ain't going to believe it. Those Because I walked her out to her car that night. The bartender asked me to, but these three guys were weird. And so I walked this girl out to her car. So I told her that, that I got enough. I think those guys' cars, because they told me they were from, like, in the middle of Pennsylvania, these cats. And she said, it wasn't them. It was me that called you, because she had that same number. From when she, it might have been seven one four actually I can't remember but she had that that was her same number so like her mom and she could call her and everything that was her that called me because it was real easy to remember the number that I used to have it was two two one sex two if you spell the numbers out and that's what I told those cats and she heard me say that and this girl called me so then I I said I didn't even know how to respond to that when when I told her that but I ran into her at the bar again a couple weeks later and that's what I and then that's how we start talking. Okay, I'm having just a little trouble keeping up, but it sounds like you met her once, she gave you her number, she was... No, no, she didn't give me her number, she didn't girl. give me her number. Oh, okay. She didn't give me her number, no one gave anybody's number. I gave those guys my number, we were talking about gambling, she heard what I said, 412-221-SEX2. And she remembered the number. Your and she number. lived in the 411, yeah, well it's not hard because and her first... You. Her first Right, she called me, and when I ran to her next time, I asked her, I said, you ain't going to believe it, those guys called me, and she says it wasn't them, it was me, because it was like a, a weird number from Pennsylvania, it wasn't my area code, but it was like in the middle of the okay. state, and right. that, okay. come so to she, find, that's she where she was you. from. She called right. you, you went to meet her, and obviously there was sex on the first night. No, not sex on the first night. I came over to her no. place. No, because when we went back to her place, there was a, other people that came back from the bar there. And the funny thing is they knew my uncle, who she used to work with. It, she worked at a, it was called Maybe State Hospital, and they were all making fun of my uncle, who's my cousin's dad, who I don't like either. 
but I never said okay, that. Okay, so somehow there was a commonality. People who knew her knew someone from your family, and you're saying there was no sex the first night, but there was a attraction. Yeah, she yeah. called me. I, I just told you that. Like, she called me. I never took her number that night. I just walked her to the car because the bar lady asked me to. Because these three guys, we didn't know who they were. It was late at night, and I said, I'll walk her to the car. I mean, I grew up in this town. You know, I, I, think, I, think, we're, uh, I think we're I mean, pulling away from the, uh, the main part of the story here. Is what happened. And that's how okay, let's, I, let's, and let's fast forward. Her next time, I thought it was those guys, and it was her that called me, and that's how I met this chick. Okay. I mean, that's how I continue to talk She's obviously hot for you, and she calls you, and you go over and hang out with her, but there's other people there, so nothing happens that first night, and then you see her again. Yeah, I see her. I see her many times after that, and then, I mean, everything is good. Okay. And and at some point, you realize that this isn't just a one-night stand, that there's a relationship here. Yeah? Yeah, but... I realized this, but, you know, I had a, a, a breakup I was just through and everything. And, and, I mean, did I take it all serious at first? But we both did in this first. I mean, it was just, we were friends. But, I mean, I hung out there. She hung out with me at my place. And we just hook up something. You know, we, we hook up. But then again, got to the point, yeah, we were always together and shit, 100%. I mean, if we get on the line. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just ask you this. What do you do for a living? I gamble. Okay, so you're That's a gambler, you hang out, and, and you're not exactly, let's say, you know, the uh, a, a prize if, for a girl who's... No, I, what, I, that's what I think in the back of... No, and I tell her what I do. I don't hide what I do to anybody. I mean, you know, I, I'm straightforward what I do. So in the back of my mind, and and I believe me, I say this to myself, I say, well, this chick doesn't know anything from a hole in the ground. She just, I mean, she wants to move too fast. You understand what I'm saying? Like, she wanted to move way faster than I wanted to move. At first, 120%. What do you mean? Did you want to have sex with her or not? No, it's not sex. I'm just talking about, like, then it got to the point, like, if we're going to the bar, you know, I said, hey, we're not a couple, you know, I can talk to who I want to, whatever, you know, I mean, it's not like that right at this point, and, it, you know, with her, it was. And this is where I'm going to get <laughs> to the point where I'm going to get to. Go ahead. It's all over the place. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this, so... Basically, what happened was at some point you realized that you had real feelings for this girl and you started a real relationship with her and you had no clue that there was anything abnormal about her. Not not at all. I had no clue there was anything weird about her at first. I mean, but I, in the back how, of my mind, how much time had you spent with her before you before the suicide occurred? Okay. Were you together like, I, every night? Yeah, up to the suicide, yes. I mean, like I was—I mean, I would say for from uh, from October until January, every goddamn night I was there. Every night. And she has no kids. No kids. She has no kids. No kids. Has she ever been married? No. Who the hell's playing that music? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who's playing that music? Is that you? No, it's not me. Drop, are you playing music? No comments. <laughs> what the hell are you fucking music you playing? You playing the eighties over this, man? No, a little bit before that. <laughs> Come on, you're playing okay. the eighties on this. Why does no one take this serious? You know, this is one of the worst days of my life, man. That that is when it's shit uh, All right, and we we want to respect that. So, okay, you're telling me that at some point, so you dated her for two full years, and at some point, you met this 
into uh you know tangents here with we need to uh stick to yeah, the, uh, the, the situation it's difficult to pin him down to a, to a cogent story so, she so, has her so, pregnancy. so she listen she pulls out a gun the one night we're at the bar i don't leave with her i'm talking to my ex-girlfriend that i have a kid with why does she have a gun with her why does she have a gun with her at she the bar i have no she's talking to at the bar Okay, bad guy. She she's stalking you. She knows that you're talking to an ex. Regardless no, of not, not, no, no, no. My ex is not stalking me at all. She was into the same bar. I have a kid with this lady. No, I mean, I'm that's saying it. the psychiatrist, the one who killed herself, Please. she's stalking you. Otherwise, she wouldn't have known that you were having a conversation with your ex. Uh-huh. No, we were all in the same bar. I don't understand what you mean. She she was in the bar with me, and my, my ex was in the bar. So I talked to her, 
And oh, I, when I, 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 I didn't leave with her, and when I came home, I thought I'd seen a gun. She ran upstairs, and I said, did you have a gun? But I couldn't believe it. I never knew this girl had a gun. I never knew she had a gun. I mean, I don't even know this girl has a gun. I'm out with her for two years. Well, she had a gun, dude. Yeah. It was under her fucking bed, dude. I said, are you fucking crazy? And I actually got out right then and there. And my buddy told me that. But here it gets better. Now, on January, as she brandished her weapon, she, she ran upstairs and I chased her. She ran upstairs and I chased her. And I asked her, did you have a fucking gun just out? Like, I asked her. And she, and she said, no. And I looked under the bed. I seen the gun. She put it under the bed. And this isn't a small gun, bro. I don't know what guns are, but it wasn't small. So I said, I said, there's nothing fucking wrong with you. So I went downstairs. Nothing happens. So on January 1st, or December 31st, we go out, we go out. Jeff, are you picking up the story? <laughs> you guys keep up when I talk and confess. I'm telling you the truth. December 31st, okay, I'm going December 31st now. I'm going to get to the point. Jeff said to hurry this up. I, we're at a party. We come back. She had a couple drinks. She leaves the room. How long was and that I don't after know, she brandished again? This is this is December thirty first from this is this is the brandishing of gun happened like at the end of November and now on December thirty first, okay, New you. Year's Day. It's, it's, New Year's New Year's Eve night. Okay. Yeah, after we were out and everything, about a month and a half later, after we were out and everything, we come home. We had a good night. I now the house is big. I, I she goes to the other room. Nothing there's no fighting going on or stop, nothing. Stop for stop a minute. Stop for a minute. Over the month and a half, you've never had a conversation with her to discuss, to try to figure out why she had a gun that night, what was going on. She had never confronted you and said she was jealous. No, no, I no. I'll tell you this: I did not have a conversation. I just thought because she was drunk, and I just put that in the back of my mind that night. Now the second time I'm going to tell you this: there's a conversation. No, look, you're right. No, second time I No, listen, you never discussed this. No, I, I mean, I probably brought it up a couple of times when I was drinking or something or, or just sitting there. But I, I know because I just thought, yeah, she was pissed. So I don't know if she was going to shoot me. She never pointed a gun at me or anything. But like I said, I like she wasn't even trying. She had that gun out before I came home. When I walked into the door, I, I could have swore I seen her with a gun. It was dark. And I said, Did you? And she ran upstairs. And, that, that's, I, and then I seen there was a gun. That's the first, I didn't even know she had a gun before this. I go out for two years. I don't know if this bitch has a gun. She goes upstairs. She has a gun. I, I don't know if I brought it. I just figured, well, she's pissed that I was talking to Dawn. I was talking about taking the kid to the zoo. I mean, I just talking about taking my kid to the zoo and shit that night. That's all it was. So then, January 1st, we had a good night. She goes, the, the house is big. She's down in the, in the game room part of the house. Like, I can't find her. She's gone for like 30 minutes. I'm like, what am I? I go downstairs. This chick has the gun pointed to her chest. Like, like, no, no, no conversations, nothing. I come downstairs. I said, is that shit loaded? And, and, and it, like, nothing. She takes the clip out and starts, like, doing that with the bullets, man. Like, like I never seen anybody. Like, like, I couldn't do that if I wanted to. I'd probably shoot the gun. I said, are you fucking kidding? I said, listen here, man. I felt like boys in the hood. That same from, I said, give me the fucking gun. I said, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. Shoot me. I had a coarse light in my hand. I'll never forget it. And I'm saying, I was like, what are you doing, dude? And then that next day, I said, man, I, there was a, the next day then, there was a question. So what are you doing here, man? And I said, and that one question I'll never forget, I asked her, I said, why did you have the gun to your chest? And without hesitation, she said, so my mom could have an open casket funeral for me. I mean, it was like, it, it, she thought about doing this. 
And seven days later, she did it, man. <laughs> and you were not in the house when she did it? No, I was in the house when she did it. You were. Come on, who's playing that music? Are you really playing music over this shit? I don't know. Jess has some uh, theme in mind here. Like, what do you play your music for? You think this is an interest, more interesting than my fucking tomatoes on Subway, bro? Come on. This is good okay, shit, man. I'm trying so, to... I, I guess okay, my question is, between the time that she first showed you that she had a gun and it was obvious that she was upset... You but it wasn't weird she had a gun if you know. If you, it, after she told me she had a gun, it wasn't that weird. First thought she was a girl that lived by herself in a new town. She came from a small city. And then, plus, if you, if you knew where she came from... These motherfuckers all got guns. I mean, so I didn't find out anything weird. I just thought she was pissed. She never put it to her chest. She never pointed it at me. So that first time, I didn't find that weird. But my boy even told me the first time, get the fuck out of there. And he said that, man. And, and he was right. you that you were in the house when she killed herself. Yeah, you want to go no that day? Listen, quit playing that fucking music, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just putting on, like, mood music here. I, I just... It's a radio show. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck music? I can't even understand what it is. Are you just playing some good music? Are you playing some karate kid shit? No, no, no. I, no, no, I was, I was playing uh, Jamie's Got a Gun. I thought that was... Uh... Jamie's Got a Gun. I mean, you're making fun of this stuff. You all people, you're in on this too? No, I'm not in on anything. I'm just trying to uh, make it a, you know, a radio broadcast with, uh, <laughs> you know, with, with appropriate music okay. and sound effects. Oh, that's a good fucking story, man. I mean, it's, it's a yeah, fucking real story. So they said I murdered this girl. You know, go in order. So, okay, after she had shown you she had a gun, and you figured it's nothing to worry about, you were at her. No, home. the second time I didn't think it was nothing to worry about. The second time I was about to leave this place, and I told her, man, I said. I asked her all the questions, and I told you what I asked her. And, you know, maybe right then and there, I should have probably – I told my mom. And, I mean, I, called, I definitely told my mother. And I said, you, you know, my mom said, well, I called my mom that day. I said, you know, I'm leaving this motherfucking place. And I said, this chick had a gun out last night. I don't know what the fuck's going on here, man. And then my mom said I should leave. So then everything was good for another six days. I mean, the day that this happened, I don't know how this happened. There was nothing. She ate a big meal. I was almost going to, the day this happened was the night of the national championship game. I was about to go out and watch the game with my friends. I said, you know what? I don't even feel like it, you know. I'll just stay home and watch it with you. I cooked steaks, shrimp, everything on the grill. She ate a big meal. She wanted to get, she wanted to get the laundry. She came back in and listen, now you got to remember something. Remember the night I told you she had that gun, it was downstairs. Yes. And she Wait, the night that she committed suicide, to your knowledge, was she pregnant? Was she what? Was she I pregnant? I can't hear when just playing this goddamn music. No, she wasn't pregnant. I don't think she was pregnant. I mean, I hope not. No, I don't think she was pregnant. No, not at all. But she, she had articulated to you that she wanted to be. No, I, I told you what she said. She wanted to jump right back in the sack the minute that she could have sex again and try to get pregnant again. That's not a lie. I mean, that's what she wanted to do. And that was in the end of November. And this was in December that she killed herself. No, she killed herself January. She shot herself January 7th, but she died January 8th. It was like at the, like the tail end of January 7th. January 8th, Did the night that she was pronounced dead. Did you have any reason whatsoever to be angry with her? 
I mean, come on, oh, come on, man. This is the serious part now. Can you stop the fucking? Okay, 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 okay. I mean, this is the part where everybody says I said I murdered her. Okay, okay. Okay. What happened is this, man. I told you she wanted to get the laundry. She came back out. Now you gotta remember something. Remember, I told you January first. That gun was. She was downstairs with that gun. I. She put that gun down. I put it back up. Like there was like a window thing, and I put it back up there and just kept it there. She had to take his gun from downstairs and bring it back upstairs at some point in these six, seven days, whenever. And put. And had to put it somewhere in the living room because she didn't go back downstairs that night. So she goes get the laundry. I'm in the other room. I come back in. She she's sitting there with the gun, just sitting there with the gun, on on a, like on a step thing, man, just sitting there. And I, I, I said, "What the fuck are you doing?" Just like this, I'm saying this in the fucking it, it, like a classroom. I said, "What the fuck are you doing?" And how she far were you standing from her? How far were you standing? I'm gonna tell you. At that time, when I first seen her with the gun, I'm standing from where the dining room goes into the living room. I say, what the fuck are you doing? That guy, we she don't know where the dining room and the living room are. So please okay, tell I don't, us. It's 20, How far uh, I don't know. I mean, a pretty big dining room and a living room. I don't know the exact feet. Pretty, I, listen, I thought about that to her at one feet? point. Were you 10 I feet away from Yeah, 20 feet at least. Yeah, 20 feet, I'd say, at least at first. Listen, and you stood no. still or you kept moving towards her? No, I come all the way up to her. I touch her so and were, go right over her. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. So you were said, right that, at her body at the moment when she oh, I hugged her. I hugged her. I hugged her and told her this right in her ear. I said, listen, miss, I'm not doing this again tonight, man. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. I walked away and walked into the other room to make a drink and to call my motherfucking sister. I was leaving this motherfucker at this point. I'm done. And then... Boom. It sounded like a cap gun goes off, man. It sounded like a fucking cap gun. And she goes, babe, I shot myself. Please get me help. And I walk in, and she's laying down, like, from from, from there to, like, nine and five feet to where she was laying down. Dude. And I come in, I go, what the fuck? And then I go to the fucking phone. I can't even find my cell phone. I had to use the house phone. I almost called my mom at first because I'm so nervous because I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I dialed 911, dude, and that's when all the fucking shit starts. Now, you're telling me that she asked for help. That does not sound like the action of somebody who wanted to commit she suicide. She said, hey, why not? I know. Okay, well, she Did said, she why not? Did she pull the trigger by accident? <laughs> you pull, it, you pull it, it to your chest and pull it by accident? How do I know? I wasn't in the room at that point. But you knew she was sitting there with a gun, fiddling with it, and being weird. Yes? I know, but this is now the third time I've seen her with the gun. I come right up to her. If she wants to shoot me, if this is towards me, then shoot me, man. She, listen, I'm not wrestling guns off of people. Do I, I, every day do I think that I should have done that? Probably. I'm not doing that, man. I just said, I so told her straight up. Why did you say not... give me the gun? I said, I'm not doing this again tonight, miss. I mean, what do you want? I, I don't know. I don't even think she's going to shoot herself to this point again. This is not the third time. But I should have maybe thought better because there was absolutely no drinking. She was not drinking. She was At doing, no you time, know what I'm saying? Did you consider saying, please give me the gun? 
You're making me nervous. No, listen, I'm not. No, I told you what I did. I walked right up to her. I hugged her. And I said, I'm not doing this again tonight, miss. I'm done with this, man. And I walked out of the room. And I, do I regret that every day? Yes. But that's what I said. And that's exactly what I said. That's what I said. And I walked out of the fucking room. And went to make a drink and call my sister and tell her to come fucking get me. I'm done with this shit, man, because I was drunk. I, I, I mean, I wasn't even that drunk, but I had a couple. I don't. I mean, what am I going to do? This is the third time you're pulling guns out, man. I mean, I'm not doing this again. If she, if she lives that day, I'm out of that house. I, I so mean, I'm out of that Now you're asking me, did she accidentally pull the trigger? Did you accidentally hold a, a, a gun to your chest and pull the trigger? I don't know if you accidentally can do that. Sober. What kind of so, gun was it? I don't know. It was a big gun. I mean, you, you guys, I, I don't know the name of the gun. I don't. I don't. It was a big silver gun. It was a big, it wasn't no little gun, I'll tell you that. And let me tell you something. Then I called 911. They're telling me to calm down. You're the only one that can help her. Go over. I never seen any blood, like I told them on the chat. And, and I'm clapping in her face. I think this girl's dead, man. She, her eyes are just open, dude. And I'm fucking panicking. And, I'm, and then I go back to the phone. I go, where the fuck are the, car, the, you know, where are the people at? And then these people come in. They throw me into the back, man. And that's the last time I've seen her. And then it gets better. Now, then homicide people come. They're all in there. And they come in here. And, you know, they're like, well, do you live here? I said, no, I, I, I stay here, man. I was like, do you think you're male here? I said, no. They're like, they're getting pissed at me, but I'm answering the truthful questions here. And they're like, well, can you sign and we can sign, can you sign away and we can sign? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll sign anything you want. And then they're like, what handed are you? I said, well, I write right handed, but I throw left handed. And he, and then the guy's like, you're being a smart ass. And he's like, give me both of your hands. And then they do my hands for gunpowder and all that shit. You know, like, they do your hands. They do that stuff, and he's like, we're going to have to have a big talk tonight, Mr. Towns. We're going to have to go down to the and have a big, big, and dude, at this point, I'm like, man, I think this girl's dead. I'm like, I'm going to get charged for murder here. You start thinking this in your head. Like, you're going to jail. They make you think that you're a murderer, man. These guys are good, I'll tell you that. And I said, I think it's good. Yeah, just play him, because you don't want to hear this shit, man. No, no, this is Law and Order here. This is that mood music. So listen, anyway, listen, they're, they're doing my hands. He's telling me I'm going downtown for, you know, we're going to have to have a big talk, this and that. He gets a call as he's questioning me with his yellow notepad. I'll never forget, his yellow notepad. Two girls in sweats. He gets a call. He goes out of the room. He comes back in. He goes, she came through. She told us what she did. And she's going to make it. She said, he said she's going to make it. But she's going to live. You understand what I'm saying? And then... Dude, you would think these people were cleaning up at McDonald's. There were so many cops and shit at this place, man, because all the township police tankers, but townships around here, they're like a mile apart, and they hear a shooting, and they're like, oh, we got to get, because they're, all they're doing is busting underage drinkers and, you know, drunk drivers. They don't do shit around this township. They all come in this place, dude. They all leave like it's cleaning at McDonald's, man. Like, like they were just like, you know, nothing happened here. Big blood stains. Thank God my sister came up there during the melee because I did get a chance to call her when I was allowed to use the phone before they told me I couldn't use the phone anymore. And we went to my mom's. They called at 2.30 in the morning, told, her, told me to come down to the hospital because her parents were so far away. And I had to fucking identify the body, man. She died on the operating table of a blood clot, not even from the goddamn gunshot wound. Dad, and that's how she what died. What area then. of her body did the bullet hit? She shot herself right in the chest. 
She tried to shoot herself in the heart, but I guess it must have missed that, but she would have been instantly dead. She didn't die from the gunshot wound. She died from the... She died out of an oper- from blood clot on the operating table. The story you were about to see is true. The names have been changed <laughs> to protect the innocent. I, mean, I can't understand what that chick's saying. I'm just but whatever. <laughs> I mean, he's making a joke of this, and I don't get it. Let me tell you something. That's the worst day of my life. It still is. And I couldn't even fucking live after that, man. I mean, like, it was bad. But now, I was after bad. This occurred, after this occurred, I would assume that you were a suspect. Did they call you in for questioning? No. They, the questioning was done. The only time they called me again was, be, listen, this girl had a, a big insurance policy. If you guys were playing this music, man, can you even hear me over this music? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, okay. we can hear you. Listen, they called me a few weeks later, and they asked me, is it possible that she tripped down the steps? Because her mom and them were calling them. This, I'm going to tell you this. Her mom and them were calling, and the lawyer, I guess, were calling the homicide, trying to get it overturned from suicide to accidental so that they could get the insurance money. That's what they were doing. And the guy called me and asked me that on the phone. I said, listen, my story doesn't change. She didn't trip down any steps. I think what I told you is what happened. And that's what happened, man. And he didn't say, he, and he even said, he said, that's what we thought. He said, it's a suicide. If they were trying to get it over. She had a million dollar life insurance policy that she wouldn't even put okay. in her mom's Let name. She'd already put in her aunt's name. She, she told me about that before. After, that after an experience like, after an experience like this, do you start to question your own taste in women, do you start to look back at every detail of your relationship with this person and try to look for some kind of clue that you might have missed? Do you analyze it to death? I don't even, listen, since that has happened, I did date a girl that I shouldn't even have been dating. I had a kid with her just to have a kid. And it's, yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Listen, I'm going to tell you what I did here because uh, it was for her, man. She wanted to have another kid, and I'm not with this girl. Somebody I knew for all my life. I don't even want to date any woman after this, man. I'm telling you. This is it, man. That's good for me. I don't trust any women, man. I don't. I don't trust anything. If you can do this, the way I... Listen, the first time I came public, this is no lie. Now, I know you guys are going to all laugh at this, which I don't give a fuck. You know when I call... You, you remember when I called dropping them and acting like TK the pimp? Yeah. That's the yeah. first thing I did publicly in my, I listened to you guys and it, it gave me some kind of peace some nights, man, on, on, on Wednesdays when you guys were on. And I, cause I listened to you guys before that. I never called in and I never really posted or anything, but I would, and I said, you know, I'm going to kid with these guys. That's the first thing I did funny or anything I did out of myself. And I was always outgoing everything. That's the first thing I ever did. It was so, that so, so our radio show let you come out. Later. Our, our radio show let okay, you come out of your Jeff, shell. Then, is what you're what's saying. your take on this? Do you, do you feel that the it's truth. completely clear that he? Wait, wait, Jeff. Let me ask you because you're you're a smart guy and you're you're a detective here. You feel it's cool that he has no part in this suicide. Well, um, yeah. There's no way to tell this. You know, he's telling us his side of the story. There's no way to uh, tell. What actually happened? You know, he's t- he's telling us what occurred, and uh, I-, I guess we have to take his word for it. You know, he's not in jail, and 
Um, it and is the homicide people were there too, man. Like I said, they left like. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the homicide crew did Listen, I could have run on radio, I'll kill you and stuff, but I'm not like that, man. I would never hurt a girl, especially, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. Listen, the funny thing is, they asked me about shooting a gun. You know, I had to answer that. They said, when's the last time you shot a gun before they did my hands? And I had to answer them. I only shot a gun one time in my life to this day. To this day. And it was my buddy's house. He lived on, like, on a farm. And it was just like a new kid's on a block thing you got from Spencer's. And it was like a shotgun you would hunt deer with. That's the only time I ever shot a gun. And I had to tell him that. And that's what they asked me. I mean, so. My, he does it was go a bad experience, man. But Josh, you know, do you do you have your doubts? You know, um, I I, yeah, I answer think, that for true. Do you have your doubts? No, I, you well, no, I, I think girl? I think she probably did uh, kill herself here. I don't I I don't think he murdered her. Is if I had to take a guess here. Right, right, right. Thank you, Josh. So, can I get some vindication eighty song on now? Can I get like uh, some kind of like top gun song on after they fly away? But he doesn't seem very contrite, you know, because even if you weren't responsible, I cried so much. No, I cried so much. And you know what? If I'm contrite on here, then I might say the murder weapon or something, man. I'm, I'm just being straight. Well, maybe you already made that mistake Listen, once. You don't I want to make that mistake again. You call my mom and ask her who was contrite. I was a fucking vegetable, man, for a year and a half, man. Well, he's I, saying, uh, Val, he's saying. It, how long has it been since it's occurred? Five, what was the date? It's been, it's been five, January 8th, 2008. Well, he is. He's saying here oh, that uh, yeah. that he okay. came out. He's saying he came out of his shell in May of two thousand eight when we had that show where he That's called in, and he was. Uh, so he was okay. saying he was kind of in okay. a. Uh, so you, he was in a funk for like four months. Recover from this horrible. Experience. Well, he was. He was in a. No, you never recover, though. Listen, I have another bad story. I told Justin the other day. I had another kid coming. He was a son. His, you know, his. Uh, he wrapped himself around the umbilical cord, and I told her, like the girl that. I, I'm with now. She didn't want to hear. Like she, she didn't like me talking about Melissa and stuff. The girl that died, she didn't like that, man. And I didn't like that. You know, I mean, sometimes you gotta talk about this stuff. And you know, every time this time comes around, you, you, I told her, you're never gonna forget this day, man. It might get better, but you don't forget that day. And you know, I think in a way, good for her that this happened to her because she, she gave me some shit, man, for two years about this shit. About me, you know, about I my listeners, and, and that's not right to do. Yeah, I get a real list for sure. That's my thing. That's why I'm right now. In the chat room, and people are asking, and, and rightly so, they're asking, since this experience, you've been running around recklessly making babies? No, one girl. One, one, what, what do you mean? I've been with one girl. I haven't had any girlfriend at all. One girl. That's it. That's all I've been One, with. one girl had And I used babies. to be real recklessly, believe me. The bad guy was real reckless. But not having babies, but being a female. And one girl. How, I, I, how I many children with, with the one girl? Just one. Okay, so one child has I had been... A kid, I had a kid before I met, I met the girl that died. I had a kid before the met. Experience. And you... You say that you wanted to make the baby because of the experience, or it was unrelated? Well, it's not because, because well, when, when I mean, I wasn't going to back out of it. I mean, I felt that that's what she wanted, man, and, and I believe that, you know, I, in my heart, in my head, I believe that, that, that you know, that's why this happened. 
Hey, this girl said she couldn't even get fucking pregnant and stuff, man. It's a big long story. Oh, that's the oldest I mean, trick in the book. This girl. She a lot of girls say that, and then they, I mean, they trap you back. that way. That's a true story. I mean, I, we can call her on the phone against one. I don't, you know, bad guy don't hide nothing, man. <laughs> I mean, I, anything I tell you guys is the truth. I didn't murder anybody. If I said something like that, I was very drunk, but I don't ever believe I said I murdered. If I said the murder weapon, the cops, when they left, they asked me about the gun. Do I want to keep the gun there? I said, you can do it. You want to check the gun there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on record here and say that if you had been responsible for this, they would have figured it out. And, you know, obviously, they're not that inept. They would have figured I it would out. Never do that. I, I, I want to go on record and say that. Their fingers for, for, you know, the market. They did, I, I want to go on record and say that if he was responsible, that I'm probably going to be called into Pennsylvania to testify. <laughs> this whole radio, this whole radio show is going And you know what? Yeah. I, I will agree to testify if they let me play music in the background. Yeah, they, they might not be able to hear what I say over the music, though. Man. Like, I'm a little disappointed. Hey, anyway, listen, it's not, listen, all these guys came at me the other night. I don't know why. Willie, Lou, and uh, Sonatang. I mean, I respect these guys as posters. They're way better than I ever have been as a poster, but I don't understand what it was. But, I mean, all I ask is I tell you guys everything about me. I show my face on this place. I've done a lot of crazy shit in my life and bad stuff. I'm not going to say I haven't. I do gamble for a living, so with with that comes the territory. But all I ask is no one to make fun of this girl's death because it's not a funny well, thing. That's, no, okay, the bad guy, you know that's not going to happen on the forums because people will make fun of things, and, and that's just the way it is. But, but Josh, you will agree with me that they would have checked his fingers uh, for evidence of they having They did check my fingers, huh? Yeah, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, if this occurs the way he explains it. If they could have got me for murder... Believe me, they would have. Like I told you, she had a million-dollar sure, sure. life insurance policy. Hmm. Right, right. So it, it's pretty clear that you didn't kill her. But my, the weirdness of it is, for me, that it, it just seems like you're sort of cavalier about it when you discuss it. But then again, it has been several Well, years, let me give you a piece so of advice okay. also here. In, when well, you, tell you this guys all know about it. I well, hang on, hang on. Bad guy They brought it up into the public. Bad guy, so let, let me make a comment here. I talked about that one night. I have nothing to hide. Bad so guy. I don't care. I mean, that's what happened. Bad guy. Bad guy. Have you, Let, bad guys, have you done any therapy over this? No, I should have. You know, my therapy was drinking. <laughs> okay, let, let, me, let me give you some advice true. here. I mean, let me give you some... I, I, that's what I did, and it's not the right. I probably should have got on pill. I even told... I told Beeves that about her friend. She said one of her friends were down there. And, uh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I want to get a word in here. I, I, I'm hardly getting to talk here, <laughs> which is unusual. Now, listen. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to give you some advice here that... When you tell this story to others in the future, uh, it's probably not good to start off with all the reasons she had to live for. Uh, with with the fact what, that no, she, you know what? That's what I told the homicide guys too, and that's when I and said that she had me, a million dollar life insurance policy. Like these are not right, good ways I, to make it seem I like she killed that, herself. You, you I should, told her no. She has a great job. She said, "So why?" Here, another thing I didn't tell you that we, that I didn't know. She was on depression pills before this. Before she got pregnant, then she got off of Ah, there, see, there. That's, that's what you should that's tell people. That's I didn't know. That's I, what you I, should I, tell people. I got into the store. That's what you should tell people. And if you're going to tell the other stuff about how she had everything to live for, then start off with this disclaimer. It is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> you're so fucked up. That's what you need to tell people. I mean, come on, dude. You know what? I give you my, listen, I give you my all, man. You do this to me. I don't get you, man.
you're wrong sometimes, brother. No, and I mean, hey, all we can do is laugh. Now, let me tell you something. That girl's a great lady. She would have helped anybody. She went down to Katrina when it happened and for free. I mean, she was a martyr, man, and I wish she would have shot me. That's the God's on a tree in the lane or something, but... What? <laughs> I wish she would have shot me instead of shot herself. I mean, she was a better person than I was in life. It's the truth. She would help anybody, man. She was a good lady, and she does not deserve to be dead. And no. that's it. So anyway, I hope I, uh, I clear myself in the, in, the, in the poker fraud alert there. Anyway, boss, so you're divorced or what? <laughs> and now I'm in on another lady right yeah, now. Yeah, are, you gonna, are you going to move out to her? The question is, Valis, do you ever carry <laughs> Valis, do you ever do you ever carry guns around to bars? That's the question. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that that well, registry list came out. A gun guy, Jeff, because he didn't know what kind of gun she had, so he's clearly yeah, not I'm glad the gun registry came out. Any girl with a gun, I don't date. You know, I actually met Vowels. The one time I met Vowels in person was at a bar. I'm, I'm glad she didn't have a gun with her. Otherwise, I would have been in trouble. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you guys it, make jokes, man. Right there. Hey, this girl, listen, if you were nuts, you would have been seeing her. She would have been telling you what drugs to get on. I don't believe in that stuff, man. I think Me, if you're you would make a mark, and I, I pull out a weapon, and boom, it's all over. It's the truth. That's what you did. If you were going to kill yourself, you seen her in the morning. I mean, that's just the craziest thing about this whole thing. So, I don't know. Rest in peace, man. And then, you know, it's Elsa right, These well, people are so what? sick. Hey, Hold on, I got a sick thing to tell you. For telling your story. Uh, hey, you don't talk to you don't, <laughs> This guy never talks. He never talks to tell you. Let me tell you how sick their parents are. I had to change my cell phone, man, and everything. I couldn't even have a cell phone. These people would call me and bother me all the time. They sent a picture on the year anniversary, two years in a row, to my sister of her dead in the casket. Mm. They sent the picture, man, to my sister, these people. That's what I'm dealing with. That's why I say you guys are making fun of this and stuff. These guys are nuts, man. They're hillbillies. And I hope they hear me say it. And, I, and I'll tell them right to their faces, like I told them on the phone before. I'm sitting here. You guys know where I live. You just want to come down and threaten to shoot me? They threaten to shoot me and all these other things, man. They, they, they don't I like me, man. The fact that you and the mom loves me. Too. No, and the mom loves me, and now she hates, like, she hates me, man. I oh, dude, I couldn't even go to the funeral. They had, they, they took her away from here and bring her in the, and, the, and the lady that from around here that she worked with said it wouldn't be smart if I go. I'd probably get murdered. That's the truth. Josh, are we just dealing with a basic hillbilly story and this happens every day? It's a true hillbilly. These motherfuckers are like from uh, that. I, I don't know. This doesn't happen in my. This does not happen in my residential neighborhood. Right. No, that, right. They, they don't like live residential. They live in the kids. woods, bro. I live residential. I live residential. <laughs> <laughs> well, detective. As you can hear, Detective Trump got to the end of the case. He said, I'm not guilty. So all you haters out there that can't stand me and then make fun of me. You're going to all hate me. You're going to all hate me when I marry balls, man. You're going to all hate me when I get balls because you all want her. I don't know. I'm the, I, I don't know, bad guy. I think I, I think I have an edge here. She's. I think I have an edge here. Val is a murderer, honey. Hold on here. Bad guy. Bad guy. I yes, think sir. I have the edge here. She she uh, had the sexual dream about me, not you. That you're not a murderer. <laughs> you guys are nuts, man. What the fuck's wrong with you? You realize that bad guy? Hang on, you're you're hitting on vowels here, but she revealed on this radio show that she once had a sexual dream about me. So would you be? Would yeah, you feel comfortable? Would you feel comfortable? I'm offended. Being, 
Would you feel comfortable <laughs> being with vowels knowing she might be dreaming of me or even picturing me when she's having sex with you? As long as, long as she talks, I have no problem with it. <laughs> None. Oh. But it's not <laughs> Okay. As interesting as, it, as interesting as this uh, segment hey, was, hey, I tell you guys too, and thank you guys for giving me a chance to tell my story, okay. like you always do, man. And uh, I love you guys. I love the show, and everybody, take care, man. Okay, thank God you, God bless everybody. Thank you. you take, take care, brother. Everybody. Bye, guys. Okay. Your okay. daughter's gonna wonder what happened to you. <laughs> She's gonna say, "My my well, mom." Uh, yeah, I'm a little worried. I hope he doesn't know where I live. My mom committed child ab- abandonment. She just uh, ran out. What is your daughter recording up there anyway? Oh, she has a presentation tomorrow uh, about uh, twins, and she's actually playing uh, monozygotic twins. She's playing both sides. Uh, you know, I remember, I, I forgot why, I had to record myself or something for school. And I remember the year was 1988. I was 16 years old, and it was near the beginning of the year. I recorded myself. And then later in the year, I listened to the recording again just because it was lying around. I put the cassette tape in and played it, and I'm like, "What the hell? I don't sound anything like that anymore." <laughs> and I that was that was when I realized my voice had drastically changed. I'm like, "Crap! I sound like a girl in this in this recording." And uh, I, I wonder if she'll have a similar experience, but probably not as much because you know, girls' voices don't change. As yeah, as no, they don't really change. Yeah, so that's that's the difference. But uh, yeah, I couldn't believe how fast it was because this is like between like a period of like three or four months, and I sounded like a completely different person. And I actually used this opportunity, and I, I'm not proud to admit this, but I actually used this opportunity to prank call people I hated and talk all kinds of shit <laughs> to them, and they had no clue who I was because they knew my old voice. <laughs> And I hadn't talked to them in a few months, so I like I, I figured this is the perfect spot to do. And one of them even said, "You know, this guy, the stuff he's saying sounds like Todd, but it couldn't be. That doesn't sound like Todd. Like the voice is different, but the stuff he's saying is the same." This must have been right around the time that your balls dropped. You know, my balls uh, <laughs> dropped before my voice did. <laughs> oh, it, how, what was the uh, time frame? I, I, it was quite some time, actually. No, for, for some reason, my voice just changed late, and it bothered me. I was like hoping that I, I hated when people would call up and think I was my mom. That was the worst. Like, like when I was ten, that was okay. But like when I'm sixteen, I don't want people thinking that I'm my mom when they call up. It's like embarrassing. So I was, well, I was happy. Sorry, but my brother, my stepbrother, he his voice never changed, even though he did become a man eventually. Oh man, he still got the uh, the very high whiny voice. So it's uh, hilarious. Yeah. So I was. I was happy, and then I had this weird thing going on where even though my voice didn't get really deep, uh, I just sounded older, and everybody who I spoke to on the phone didn't believe I was 16 or 17, and I had people always thinking I was like in my late 20s, and when I was like, calling party lines, it was a killer, because all these girls my age on there who were like 17 like me thought I was an old dude trying to pick up on young girls, like I was a pedo or something, <laughs> and I kept saying, no, I swear I'm your <laughs> age, and they wouldn't exactly. believe me. And so, uh, now fortunately, as years passed, I actually aged into my voice, which didn't go on to change very much. So I sound very similar now as I did when I was like 18. Like, there's a slight difference. I, I actually found an old recording of myself. It sounds very similar. So. Oh, can we hear that? I, I don't have it on the computer here. Maybe I'll dig it up. But uh, it, it's not very much different. It's a little difference in my voice, but not that much. So, um, now I, I, I don't know, but I think now. 
except when I talk about things like 1988. I, I think now I actually sound younger than my voice is. I can't be sure, but I think I sound no, a little I bit younger. No, I think you do. Uh, that, that may be true. How old are you? I'm 41. Yeah, I think you do sound a little younger than yeah. 41. So, uh, I the, think so. So, that, I mean, that's so good. So, are you convinced after our <laughs> strange interview with that guy that he is innocent of murder? I, I never know what to think with him. I mean, I, I did enjoy playing music and sound effects, but... Uh, <laughs> that, that was actually the, the biggest. He was not very happy about. It. I mean, that, that was the most fun to me was finding the right sound effect to play at the right time and uh, <laughs> loading it up really quickly because these are things you can't plan for. You got to like do it on the spot and think, okay, what's a perfect sound effect here? And uh, I, I have to thank the chat room for this one. <laughs> they gave me that idea. They, the chat room gives me a lot of good ideas. That's that's when it's easiest to do this show is when we have. Clever, witty people in the chat room who come up with really funny things to say or to play out here, <laughs> and then people listening in the archives go, "Wow, Druff just thinks on his feet so well," and uh, they never know which came from the chat room. But uh, well, we're we're very fortunate to have a great listening audience. So. Yeah, well, I'm fortunate to have a, a co-host uh, for a little bit of the show tonight. That's very nice. So you know, I'm gonna for a little bit, yeah. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm so sorry that we can't do this more often. Um, it's been. Really fun, but I do have to go. Okay. So I will say my farewells to everyone, and um, hopefully... Oh, I missed the announcement at the beginning of the show, uh, so is Drexel coming back? Um, yes, he is coming back next week. Good, good, good. So uh, yeah, this is a, a great month here for the radio show. First, we have an unexpected appearance by Vowels, and then next week we get Brandon back, so can't do better than that. That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear it because I would never want to. Uh, I'd never want to know that your show was somehow jeopardized by lack of a co-host or other other terrible. I mean, I mean, I know that you have to uh, carry the show all by yourself sometimes, and it's not easy. You do a great job, though. By the oh, way, thank you. you. Don't That's have a... to do it all on your own. Thank you. Um, so, thanks to everybody in the chat room, and uh, good luck to you. And I'll talk to you later. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Uh, so very happy to have Val's on the show. She does have a very nice voice. I mean, talk about people who sound uh, sound really young. I mean, she's uh, um, she just has a great voice all around and uh, good personality for the radio too. Always enjoy having her on here. So uh, too bad she can't be a regular host on the show, but uh, always like having her here. Let's try to call the Hard Rock Hollywood. Thank you for calling your poker room at Seminole Paradise. If you know your party's four-digit extension number, you may press it in now. Otherwise, please remain on the line and listen for the following options. There's the following option. To hear the list of poker tournaments, press 1. No. To reach the poker room, press 2. Now, oh, here we go. Please hold on while I try that extension. It's probably going to be full of fail, but... Why should they answer the phone?
Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I got a question for you about the, 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 the tournament that's coming up in uh, August. Okay. Um, you know, these, you got that uh, ten million dollar guarantee or something. You know what, I, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to know if um, you know I once play in the tournament in Mexico. Okay, my name is uh, Chico Loco. I, I play in the tournament in Mexico, and they say to me, uh, "You got a a two million peso guarantee." And I get there, and it, it's, it's just me and uh, and, uh, and and Jose Bracero. And and um, and Francisco Colon, okay. And it's just the three of us, and they got the two million peso guarantee, and they say, no, 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 we cancel the guarantee. It's just the three of you. And I, I'm very, very angry about that. So my question for you is: Is this a guarantee, guarantee, or is it a Mexican guarantee? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. I am not, I don't know, I'm not familiar with that, so um, you'd probably have to call during the day, or you can hold on and I can find out for you. Okay, so, so um, you, you're telling me you, you have not had this question before about the guarantee, you, you do not know if this is a... I have not had any questions about it because we just, we just advertised it. Okay, because I, I want to know if I come all the way there. I'm, I'm not there in, in Florida like you, you know. It's, uh, and and uh, if, if a Mexican come into, come into Cuba, uh, to Florida, it's like little Cuba, you know, they're, they're not going to like me very much there. So right. I, I, I only want to come in there if there's going to be a big guarantee. So I, maybe, maybe I can move from, from Norwalk out to Beverly Hills if I win the tournament, you know. So, right. so I, I, want to, I, I want to find out if, if it is real. So when, when should I call back about this? Um, I can find out for you, so if you can just hold on. Oh, I can, I can hold okay. on right now. Okay, I, I hold on. Okay. Okay. All right. April 11th and 24th, you have double the chances to win. Five players will win $500 every 30 minutes from 2 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. with one lucky grand prize winner of $10,000 in cash at 10 p.m. April 18th, we're giving away a 2013 Ford F-150 Black Ops. Play and earn from April 4th to April 18th for your chance to win. Grand prize drawing at 8 p.m. April 30th, win your share of 70... Hello, sir? Yes. Yeah, um, I don't have an answer for that. My shift manager does not have an answer for that. So you can call the tournament director tomorrow morning. So you guys don't know, no- you guys don't know nothing about it? So nobody, nobody has asked this yet. It's just my question. Is, Chico local question it's, is the first one the about first it. Question. No, I'm not saying it's a, it's a very good question. I just We've not had any questions yet. It just came out in the paper. And I don't have any details on that. And you do not know if it, can you re-enter? Like if you bust, can you come back in the next day in a re-entry? Or do you not know yes. that either? That is, yes. You can do that. Okay, so you can I come in. And, and you have to pay the, the whole 5300 again. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, I'm going to have to do some deals to make this money. Okay, so um, um, so so I should. The only thing you do not know is if the guarantee is absolutely guarantee where it is going to happen 10 million, even if it's just me and three other guys show up. Right, that's that's an answer I can't give you. Because uh, you know, I have a friend. He do not believe I am a good poker player. He said to me, he said, Chico, only way you make a final table is if it's only you and eight other guys in the tournament. And I get very angry at him. I say that's not that's not true. I, I you know, I, I I'm a very good poker player. I just make a mistake occasionally. But uh, everybody does that. We are all human. Okay, so right. I I call back. When when is this guy going to be in? Tomorrow morning he'll be here. His name is Jeff Newsom. Jeff Newsom. Okay, I, I call the Jeff Newsom. I ask if this guarantee an American guarantee, a Mexican guarantee, or a Part Two Poker Tour guarantee. I ask okay. him that question. Okay, thank you very okay. much. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so the answer is we have no answer. All right. So uh, the problem is that it's, you know it's one forty in the morning and uh, nobody 
with any kind of authorities there, nobody with any knowledge of the tournaments there, and, and this is just announced. So they knew enough to tell me that you can re-enter, but they, they don't know if it's a guaranteed guarantee, which I think everyone's afraid to say unless they know for sure, because he doesn't want to get uh, fired for promising El Chico Loco it's a guarantee, and then he comes into you know Cuban territory when he's a Mexican. You don't want to you don't want to make a Mexican guy go into little Cuba there, little Havana, unless uh, it's a good reason for it. All right, so uh, I guess we won't have an answer on that one until uh, more information comes out. It is a good question, though. It's a, it's a serious question. It was a, pr- a prank call, but a serious question. It's kind of like a, a prank real call. So, all right. Uh, a little bit more on the show. It's like a Z agenda. I want to talk a little bit about the Boston terrorist attack and how it applies to the World Series. Um, I'm not going to talk much about the attack itself. I'll leave that to the news channels. But uh, something I've always wondered about is, will there be an attack of some kind at the World Series? And when I say an attack, I don't mean two guys fighting with each other or something. I mean like someone pulling a gun or bringing a gun in there and shooting people. Or, or bombing the World Series in some way. Now, of course, being a player at the World Series, I, I sincerely hope this never happens, uh, you know, both for everyone's sake and for my own safety. But uh, I've also thought, wow, you know, you have this large crowd of people, and I hope I'm not giving anyone ideas here, but uh, you have this large crowd of people with thousands of people all crammed together, and uh, pandemonium would occur if even one gunshot went off in that room. Or a little bomb exploding, it would everyone would go nuts. There'd be trampling. It would be a mess. And uh, you, you think of like what happened at that Colorado movie theater, and, and think if the same thing happened in a a poker room with thousands of people. I mean, it, it would be a disaster's disaster. It would be something that would be uh, a national tragedy that uh, you know could even start to approach. Uh, 9/11 casualties. I, mean, I don't think you, one person could pull it off, uh, but uh, you know something that's organized. I, I, I really don't even want to talk about it to give people ideas. Not that uh, people haven't thought about this also, but uh, it's always worried me a little bit because uh, this is a large gathering of people together. Now there is security there, but security is really only there to prevent people from uh, committing crimes and getting away with it. So if you mug someone in the casino, you know, theoretically security will stop them before they get out and arrest them. But if it's someone who's who doesn't care if they die, if it's a total crazy that doesn't care if they die in the commission of their crime, security really isn't very useful other than having guns right on the spot and, and maybe being able to shoot the perpetrators. But but you know, by then there'd be a lot of casualties. And I've always wondered, like, what if you have a really angry gambler whose life is ruined by poker and they want to take it out on, you know, all the good players at the World Series who ruin their life. Like I think about these things because, you know, I'm in there playing and I don't I don't think about this constantly. I'm not sitting around being scared to play. But when we, these types of tragedies occur, I think about, well, we have all the uh, all the ingredients for a potential disaster. A large crowd of people. Everyone's there to gamble, which would be a good target for terrorists who want to make a point against the sinfulness of America. I I don't think a domestic terrorist would care about uh, killing gamblers, but uh, definitely a a, a foreign uh, uh, Middle Eastern type uh, religious terrorist would. Uh, we, We have the pandemonium that would occur 
if uh, this started to happen that that would cause its own trouble. As I said, the only thing really getting in the way of it would be security, and how security does have guns on them, and they would be able to uh, shoot people who are, who are doing things like this and maybe stop it from being as bad as it could be. Whereas in like a movie theater, you don't usually have armed guards around there, and it takes a while for the police to show up. But still, uh, it's something that I've thought about occasionally, especially if you have a disgruntled gambler whose life was ruined by poker or other forms of gambling. I really hope it never happens. And, uh, you know, as far as what occurred in Boston, we don't know the story yet, but this was... I read an interesting editorial about it that I agreed with, that this could be the start of a new sort of fear in America. Because 9-11, that scared us as far as taking flights. But uh, people weren't that scared. I mean, maybe in the weeks right afterwards, but it subsided fairly quickly as far as people being scared to be out in public. People weren't scared to go out to the mall or scared to go out to a ball game. or They weren't afraid of uh, suicide bombings like that. They, they were afraid more to fly. But since you're not flying every day, since most days you're not flying, you still felt generally safe walking around in America. Well, this was something that occurred... You know, like this is something you'd see happening in a place like Israel, where a place where a large crowd of people is out there just doing their own thing. A bomb goes off, kills people, seriously injures others. And uh, now people are saying, well, if it happened at the Boston Marathon, it could happen anywhere. You know, uh, when a, a team wins the World Series and there's a parade, are you going to be afraid to go to the parade? You're going to be afraid to go to, uh, you know, open markets. I know they don't have as many here as they do in places like Israel. You're going to, you're going to be afraid to uh, go to ball games. You know, there's, there's a lot of things people might be afraid to do if this starts to become commonplace. Now, just from this one incident, people probably won't be that afraid. But if this starts to become the new normal here in America, then we may start have to, we might have this fear that they constantly live with over in Israel that anywhere you are, a restaurant, a bus stop, wherever, there could be some crazy who's willing to kill himself to kill as many people as possible. Now this person, whoever did this, or people who did this in in Boston, um, this was not a suicide bombing, this was a a carefully planned bombing, and apparently was done uh, with some degree of expertise, but, uh, you know, it's it, it could be very scary if this sort of thing starts happening more and more in the U.S. The thing that has stopped it from happening in the U.S. is that there's a very big ocean between us and the Middle East. And we have that advantage. Where it's, it's a lot harder for terrorists to set up their networks here domestically and not be detected. It's just hard. It's harder for them to get here. It's harder for them to get materials here, get money here. So, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see uh, if if we get a repeat of this. Hopefully we don't. Hopefully the people are caught, and hopefully uh, whoever is caught turns out to be an isolated type, a Tim McVeigh type, who uh, isn't part of a larger group that's going to strike again. Um, But yeah, I've always wondered about the World Series, and uh, would something like that ever be targeted? I hope not. Anyway, 
Um, let's move on to what I think is going to be our last subject. It's about Bitcoin. Now, last week on the show, Seriously Serious and I talked about Bitcoin, and uh, I actually made a statement, which I, it wasn't a prediction I can't take credit for, but I made the statement, had I bought in early at Bitcoin, or even semi-early, and uh, I was looking for a time to sell, I said, you know what? Where it is tonight, and I was saying tonight as of a week ago, at around $240, I would sell at this point. I wouldn't try to get greedy and get more. This is probably where I'd just stop it and sell everything. Well, that would have been a smart move if I had Bitcoins to sell, because that was the night when it all crashed, right after the show. Uh, a few hours later, I believe, the crash started. And as we sit right now, Bitcoin is trading at $74. It got as low as $50 earlier today. It's been kind of hanging around the 60s and 70s for the last uh, two days or so few days before that it was at around 100 before that it was in like the 80s it's been kind of jumping around but uh, where do I think Bitcoin's going to go remember it started out for a long time it was at around $5 then it moved up slowly and reached around 16, 17 around there, sat there for a long time and then shot up first it shot up moderately then it shot up at an alarming rate to where a week ago it was at like 250 and then it crashed and it lost like 60% of its value in about 12 hours then it went back up a little bit then it went back down a li- little bit now Mt. Gox, mtgox.com which is the main site where they're traded for real money because the Bitcoin does not have any actual value it's not backed by any government it, uh, there's nothing, it doesn't have any intrinsic value there's really no value to Bitcoin other than what others are willing to pay for it. So if everyone decides that Bitcoin is worth a half a cent, that's what it's going to trade for. If everyone decides it's worth $1,000, that's what it's going to trade for. It doesn't have any real value. You're trading it because other people are willing to pay for it. And with those, you always have to be careful because those can shoot up and shoot down in value extremely quickly. Uh, so where do I think it's going to go? Uh, now, this Mt. Gox, they made all kinds of weird excuses as to what happened. For example, I'm going to read their announcement about uh, what occurred the night it crashed. This was written on April... Uh, it says April 11th. I think it was actually April 10th because it was written in Japan, where it's almost a day later. Hi, everyone. Just a quick update on the situation and what happened last night. First of all, we'd like to assure you that there was n- we were not last night victim of a denial-of-service attack, but instead a victim of our own success. And the reason they're mentioning the denial of service attack is that uh, one common way that uh, kind of online criminals use to uh, manipulate the price of Bitcoin and make money is that they make denial of service attacks against Mt. Cox and make it so the whole thing either doesn't run or runs very sluggishly. Everyone panics and thinks there's something wrong, and, and, and when it goes back up, sells their Bitcoins off. The price drops temporarily. Then these people who did this buy up the Bitcoins at the lower price, and then when the price recovers, then they sell and make money. And then they just keep doing this, and uh, that's how they make short-term money in Bitcoin, by with denial-of-service attacks. So they were insisting that it was not a denial-of-service attack, which I actually believe. And they claimed they were a victim of their own success, and that's why the value of Bitcoin fell 60% in one night. How do they explain that? 
Indeed, the rather astonishing amount of new accounts opened in the last few days added to the existing ones, plus the number of trade, made a huge impact on the overall system that started to lag. As expected in such a situation, people started to panic, started to sell Bitcoin in mass uh, panic sale, uh, resulting in an increase of trade that ultimately froze the trade engine. And then they start to brag how many new accounts they've had in the last 24 hours. Uh, due to these facts, we've been busy working on improving things since last week, and our team has been working around the clock to improve Mt. Gox to catch up with the demand. We will continue to release several updates today in the upcoming few days to improve our system overall performance. Also, please note that we may have to close the exchange for two hours in the next 12 to 24 hours to add several new servers to our system. Now, they also froze trading for about 12 hours to try to you know, keep everyone calm and not uh, have the whole thing crash to zero. Well, uh, they did prevent it crashing to zero. I don't know if it was from their stupid 12-hour waiting period, but uh, it, it has been jumping around within the uh, 50 to 110 range, right now 73. I don't believe that the whole thing crashed and caused a panic sale because of they were so successful. Um, I didn't see during the fall that uh, they were having any kind of problems with the server working. And I was refreshing it a lot just because I was interested in the situation. Uh, it, it was a little bit slow, but nothing that I think would cause a huge sell-off. And keep in mind when there were these denial-of-service attacks, which really did make it slow, which really did make it hard to use, those price drops were typically not that big, and it recovered quickly. Somehow this one, which they claim had the same symptoms of a denial-of-service attack, somehow caused a permanent loss in Bitcoin value of uh, you know, about 75%. So I don't believe this. Even if what they're saying is true, that the system was lagging because of uh, demand on Bitcoin and on, on their server then it would have the same effect as the denial-of-service attack, where it would temporarily go down, and once they get everything working well, it would go right back up. Well, it never went right back up. It's, it's 73 now. I don't know what caused this drop in Bitcoin value. I actually think it was probably something natural. It's possible it was manipulated in some way by outside parties who wanted to see that happen. There's many ways to have done that. But... Uh, I think it's possible that just some people decided $240, $250 was just ridiculous, that they were happy they are going to sell, and then there are just too many people selling compared to buying, and then everyone went into a panic and sell, 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 sell. And it was a panic sale situation. And I, I think now it's gotten to a, a more stable temporarily price of uh, you know of $73 or you know, around there that people feel it's not ridiculously overvalued at this point and you know, people are, there's others who are buying thinking go go back up. So I think as long as the buy volume is higher than the sell volume or at least close to it, you're not going to see another crash. But as soon as we see a big sell off again, uh, it's it's going to have another steep drop in price. And it makes sense that you would because uh, this is still substantially higher than it was before the run up when it was like 17 bucks. And so people could still say that it's very much overvalued and that another crash is uh, very much imminent. And a lot of people are afraid of that. And a lot of people buying up Bitcoins or holding their Bitcoins, uh, if they see it fall again, they're not going to just wait and watch it lose 75% of its value again. So uh, it's been a very interesting thing to watch. It's hard to believe that a week ago this had not even occurred yet when we were doing this show. And um, I, I think that... Uh, I, I think that Bitcoins could potentially be an okay short-term investment if it falls down 
to something like $10, $15. And the reason I say this is not that I'm a big Bitcoin proponent. I'm not saying to hold them for the long term. And I don't think they'll reach $250 ever again. I think that um, a lot of people who've been watching Bitcoins kind of see the $15, $17 range as its real value. And of course, it doesn't have a real value, as the, I explained earlier. But since it was accepted that that was the value of a Bitcoin for so long, uh, anything above that is just seen as hype. It's just seen as, as fluff that uh, pushed the market up due to media frenzy and due to people thinking that they could make money by, by joining in as it's going up. Uh, I think when it crashes back down, provided this does happen, uh, it crashes back down to 15 to $17, where it was for a long time, People will say, okay, everything's back to normal. We're back at the beginning. We're back where we started from. It's not really where it started, but you know, like the run-up where it started from. And, well, now here's my chance to get in on the ground floor a second time. I blew the chance the first time, people are saying. You know, a lot of people were wishing they bought Bitcoins at 17 bucks and sold at 200-something, of course. You know, even I wish that. But I think a lot of people, as they were regretting it, watching Bitcoins shoot up, were actually hoping that they fall back down to the original level that they had been at for a long time, like $17, and uh, they'll have a second chance at buying them at that level and then hoping a second run-up occurs. Now, I don't think that we're going to see it shoot up from 17 to 250 again, but I do think that a lot of people are thinking the same way. I think a lot of people believe that uh, Bitcoins, they're just waiting for it to get to a certain point where it used to be, and then they think they can buy it and, and watch it go up again. I think a lot of people don't want to buy it at 73 because they think there's another big crash coming. If someone asked me, Druff, do you want to buy it at 73? I say, fuck no. I'm not buying it at 73. It could crash overnight and be worth uh, you know, 15, tw- 10, 5. And I'll be out a lot of money. I'm not risking that much. And besides, what's the upside of buying at 73? You know, that at best, I'm going to like triple my money. But at worst, I can lose everything. It's just It's just not worth it. So I think everyone's waiting for the whole thing to return to where it once was, to where it was for a long time, and then hope they're going to get in again on the ground floor and, and hope that they're not going to blow it a second time and, and uh, you know wait for it to appreciate a lot. Once they make several times their money, then they'll sell and they'll uh, feel good that they didn't miss the boat the second time. Now, will it run up a second time? I don't know. Uh, but I think what would cause a second run-up is the belief that uh, there will be one. It'll be like a self-fulfilling prophecy where whenever there's more demand to buy them than to sell them, which there will be, I think, if it falls below 20, then that will create another artificial run-up where everyone, you know, so so think about this. It drops to 17. All these people who think like me are like, okay, I got to get in again and they'll buy in. Well, all these people buying in will start to make the price rise. The people who bought in will be happy and see the price rising and say, oh, wow, I made the right decision. Let me get a few more. Other people will see and say, oh, Bitcoin's going up again. I better get in before it gets too high this time. Everybody will buy and it'll start going up, 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 up. Now, this time it won't make the 200 or whatever, but uh, it'll get to a certain point, and then it'll have its natural crash back down. And as long as you sell before that crash occurs, I bet you can make some money. If you're quick about it and if you're diligent and watching the exchanges, especially Mt. Gox and how much they're selling for, and at the first sign of it starting to sell, Dump everything as fast as possible. Don't sit there optimistically waiting that uh, you know that it may go back up after a small dip. It might, but uh, that's very risky. That would be my advice if you want to speculate with bitcoins. I'm actually going to do this myself if it does drop below 20. 
That's just the arbitrary number I'm picking for when I'll buy some Bitcoins. Am I going to put 100K into it? No. I'm not going to put major money into it, but but maybe I'll put in, uh, you know, 5,000. And if I lose the 5,000, okay, you know, I've lost 5,000 many times playing poker. And, uh, and, you know, it sucks, but I think, okay, you know, I've uh, it's gambling. It is gambling. But, uh, you know, if I see it at $17, maybe I will buy $5,000 worth of Bitcoins. And then if somehow it does quickly rocket up to 85, I can sell it and make 20K. Yeah, of course, I'm uh, speaking optimistically here, but that's not hard to believe because the value of Bitcoin is, is dictated by people of what they're willing to pay. And there's a lot of people who don't think about these trends. And all they're waiting for is their second chance to get in on another Bitcoin boom at a low price. They don't want to get in on it at 73. But I've spoken to so many people who say, wow, these Bitcoins are a joke. Wow, they're losing money so fast. Wow, look at those stupid people who, who bought it on the way up and uh, you know lost so much money. And they're like, yeah, well, but if it ever gets down to $10, I'm buying it some. Like I hear so often from people, if it ever gets down to such and such number, usually between 10 and 20, they tell me, they're going to buy some. I've heard this so often, and I've thought it too. So there's no way it's just me and the people I talk to that think the same way, independently. It's got to be a lot of people that are just waiting for it to crash down. Then buy in, kind of create an artificial run-up, and as long as you drop it at the right time, I think you can make some money. Now don't come crying to me if you do this and you lose money. Do it at your own risk. I'm not saying this is a foolproof way to make money. It's gambling. You may lose everything. I may have to come back on the show after I try that and uh, lose all my money trying it. Not all my money, but all the money I put into this. Lose 5000 bucks or whatever and come on and sheepishly admit that I got owned. It's possible I will do that. It's also possible I will play this clip and pat myself on the back for a smart investment. So, uh, But definitely, I, I wouldn't buy in at this point at 73. I, I think another crash is coming. I don't think it's sustainable at 73. I, I think that um, it just uh, it, it's kind of temporarily semi-stabilized, but but soon people again are going to realize that it's not going to appreciate much, and there's no real need to buy these at this level. And there's going to be a lot of people panic selling, being afraid a crash is coming, which will in turn cause a crash. My prediction. You want to follow it? MountGox.com. That's MTGOX.com is the main exchange. See right at the top of the page what the uh, uh, current prices, what the average price has been for the last 24 hours. You can even click on it and see a graph. So, that's your show for tonight. Been a long show. Had some unexpected segments like uh, Bad Guy coming on and talking about uh, the suicide that some suspect was murder. And I don't know, maybe I'm gullible, but I don't think he killed the girl. I think it probably was a suicide. But if it was a murder, hmm, I guess I'll be seeing this show as a centerpiece of a upcoming murder trial. Well, another Poker Fraud Alert Radio Druff and Drexel show is in the books. I'd like to thank my brief co-host Vowels making an unexpected appearance on the show Bad Guy 23 for telling his story and putting up with my sound effects and of course all the loyal listeners who have stuck by me through the thick and thin with this show all the co-host changes all the guest co-hosts and everything else we've been through the technical problems of which I don't think we had any tonight I guess I can be happy for some small favors right gotta be thankful for the little things in life and uh, the show not crashing is one of them but I, I really appreciate all the people who are 
long-term listeners of the show, people who look forward to the show. I get emails sometimes from people saying that uh, this show gets them through their workday on Thursday, and I always love getting emails like that. If you're one of those people, let me know, because it makes me feel good about doing the show, especially on the days that I don't really feel like doing it and force myself. But I'll admit today I was kind of excited about doing the show, because uh, there's a lot I wanted to talk about. We will be back next week, same time, 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I will be doing it from a secret location. Not where I am right now. I'll be in a different secret location. I think the internet will work well there. If it doesn't, I'll find a way. But we will do it, and Brandon Drexler-Gerson will be back April 23rd, a week from today. I really look forward to having him back here. The show's not the same without him. And I know the audience feels the same way as well. Have another free roll next week. Thank you to everybody who donated. Thank you to C Money this week, Crow Diddley, Trader SKY, and uh, the last guy, Mark E2601, whatever his name was, for the final five bucks. Such generous users we have on this site, and we've given away more money in free rolls on this show than any other poker show or podcast in the world. I'm not kidding, it's true. Look it up. Last year, we've given away more money here than any radio show having to do with poker. We'll keep doing it. Thank you for listening. Good night and shalom.